Hey there, we are Hail to the King, a podcast where we read and discuss the many works of Stephen King. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brady, a constant contributor to Epic Film Guys podcast and the Vintage Horror podcast, and I am very excited to get into today's book, The Shining, Stephen King's third novel that he published. Um, so what we're going to do while we introduce ourselves to start off with our weirdest hotel, motel, Airbnb, resort stories. Um, I don't have any spooky ones or scary ones per se, um, but when I was about 10, 11, my family went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Amish country, and we were just doing what church people do, antique shopping and looking for long-ass dresses for my mom and my sister. And uh, at night, one of the other family that we went with, uh, their kids and I were just running through the hallways of this hotel. And it was like 11 midnight, screaming, running through these hallways, slamming into doors, playing hide and seek. And uh, this guy like popped out of his hotel room. and was like, shut the fuck up. And uh, I'll never forget that. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, also downstairs in the lobby, the clerk wasn't really doing anything, but watching on this really small ass TV, like hanging from the corner, it was some sort of uh, sci-fi movie at the time, because this would have been like 2005, 2006, and it was like some saber tooth versus like Kraken monster. It was great. Um, but yeah, that's probably my weirdest hotel story that I could think of. Um, so I'm going to throw it over to Kenneth now. Mm -hmm. All right. Hi, I am your your second co-host here, Kenneth. And when I was trying to think of my like weirdest hotel experience, two things came to mind and I couldn't decide between them. One is slightly scarier and one is like just kind of funny. Um, so the scarier one is shorter. It pretty much um, my dad told me once we, we had been staying somewhere. I think it was like New York City or something. And um, like, I woke up one morning and he was like, what did you dream about last night? And I was like, nothing. I didn't dream about anything. What do you, why, why are you asking me? And he said, because you fell asleep before us last night. And in the middle of the night, you sat up and just like was staring at the wall. And I asked you like, Kenneth, are you all right? And then you just laid slowly back down. And yeah, so that's kind of spooky. My other one was, um, my if we have any international listeners they're gonna laugh at my american stupidity but i was staying in a hotel in london and we got i guess an accessible an accessible hotel room and i didn't know that so we walked in and there is this like this thing up on the ceiling that looks like um like a fire or smoke detector but there's a huge like a long string leading all the way to the floor and i was like what the fuck is this thing so I pull on it and it turns out it's the alarm in case you like fall out of bed and can't get back up. So we set off an alarm on the entire floor of the hotel and it scared the shit out oh, of God. me. Oh, God. So yeah. Oh my God. Did like the ambulance <laughs> come or like the paramedics or anything? No, um, I was, we panicked and we went out into the hallway and there were some people like, cleaning rooms and they're like you all right and i was like yeah i just didn't i didn't know what it was shouldn't just pull Jeez, things that's fucking crazy well now you know you know mm -hmm. sweet all right well what about uh what about you Paige? 
Uh, hello, everybody. It's Paige, your third and final co-host um, in general, but not for this evening, afternoon, morning time when you're listening. Um, I don't know. I don't have a really weird hotel story, but I do have like a, a super awkward bed and breakfast story. Um, so my husband, Brady, and I, um, we got married at a bed and breakfast, which just so happened to be the bed and breakfast that my uh, father and my stepmother had run for many, many years. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, and we stayed there as well um, as like our, our honeymoon uh, stayed in the bed and breakfast, did our thing, whatever. So um, we stayed in like the the master suite that they would have. I, I don't know exactly what you would call it, but like the best room in the bed and breakfast. Um, and that just so happened to be where my dad died. Oh, that is not the story I thought we were going with. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. But that's, but yeah. So um, previously my father was in hospice and was in the room that we had on our wedding night and he died there. It was a little weird. It was a little awkward. Huh. That's, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, uh, I didn't really think I really yeah. understood that we stayed in that room that your dad died in until like just this moment. So oh, thank you all for I'm taking this trip sure with me. Yeah, that's, they had his, his little hospital bed up there. His, all of his loved ones surrounding him. I when thought he you were going to tell the story then, about yeah, how, like, like a, oh, uh, the, the next time we went up to see your stepmom, she was like, oh, yeah, Brady left his underwear in the bed. <laughs> I was expecting, like, a lighthearted, <laughs> like, funny story. No, we're going to go the route of your dead dad. All right. Well, this is not a lighthearted and funny <laughs> podcast, okay? This is serious right, right, business. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Nor is this Anyway, book. so that's my weirdest <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Uh, and then, yeah, we have a guest again on this episode. He also appeared on our Salem's Lot episode. She's Get out enough. now. What'd you say? Nothing. Don't worry about it. She said we couldn't get enough. <laughs> oh, I thought she said not good enough. I was like, that sums him up too. Not good enough. <laughs> uh, Kyle of Vintage Horror Podcast. Uh, how are you, man? What's uh, what's your weirdest hotel story? You know, it's me, Kyle. Uh, the guest's so nice, you had to have me twice. Ooh. Thought of that one today. That's, Hope you liked it. Uh, okay, so I have a couple hotel stories. One's mine, uh, well, and then the other one's kind of sort of mine. So the first one is in 2015, I went to Texas with my friend Mark, and we went to a horror convention, and we were there for a couple nights. We didn't leave the hotel. We literally, because the convention was in the hotel, so we flew in, went straight to the hotel, and we didn't leave that hotel for three days so one morning we went down for breakfast and then we were leaving and it was pretty early and this guy who was he looked just like marilyn manson like if <laughs> i mean and i don't think it was like an accident i think he lived his life like that on purpose but keep in mind know. it's like 8 a.m he was in the elevator with us and we had seen him a couple times but he was clearly the drunk as fuck at 8 a.m in the elevator and somebody else was in there with us i don't remember who and he just kept apologizing to the guy kept saying i'm really sorry i didn't mean it and the guy's like it's okay he's like no really i'm so sorry i didn't mean it and we're like dude what the fuck is happening we're stuck in an elevator with a marilyn manson look like he just keeps apologizing it was really awkward you can't um, find out like no was. had no idea <laughs> they got out on like a different floor and we were like what the fuck was that 
I was just glad he didn't talk to us though, because we would have said like, yeah, don't talk to us, please. Um, <laughs> and so the second story is I recently recently went to Chicago and on my way back home, I was driving and I stopped at a hotel just myself. Um, and it was probably about like eight or nine at night. And uh, when I was checking in, I didn't book this ahead of time. So I'm just like, oh, do you guys have like a room? The lady's like, oh yeah, no problem. And she's like, hold on, let me just see what rooms are empty. I'm like, all right. And she's like, yeah, I don't want to put you in a room with somebody else already in there. I was like, yeah, please don't do that. And she's like, no, nah, I don't think I will. It already happened once tonight. I said, um, what? Uh, oh, that shouldn't happen ever. Please don't do that. And she was like laughing about it. I'm like, all right. She's like, all right, this room's good. Trust me. Nobody's in this room. And I'm like, well, I fucking hope not. Because I, if I open up that door and somebody's in there, it's going to be really awkward. Um, and that's a real fear I have because that happened to my friend Steve. That's how it's kind of half my story. He was in Atlantic City and he was at a motel, though. It was a shitty motel. And they gave him like a key. He went to go unlock a door and he was opening it. And somebody yelled to him, don't you open that fucking door. And he was like, okay, we'll not be opening oh, this. And we wow. oh. got a separate room. So that's a big fear of mine. Jeez. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I just want to go back and say one story because I didn't say it at first because I thought Paige was going to take it. <laughs> but when last year, Paige and I and our friend Justin went to New Jersey to see Kyle and mark and rob for a screening of scream which is great and i like never take care of the arrangements for wherever we go like and i'm not talking about just like lodging arrangements i'm talking i don't plan anything <laughs> i'm really bad at it and Paige usually takes over this well because Paige isn't really like horror i was like i'll just take it all on myself and like figure out where we're gonna go so i looked up all these reviews of these hotels near the theater and we found this one i think it was a was it wasn't a red roof i don't know what it was but it was an old apartment complex that they got they turned, turned into, a hotel. into a hotel yeah and it was so, so weird of course the entire time that we're driving Paige and justin are bitching in the back seat in the front seat about how oh brady probably fucked this up or it's gonna be really bad because brady never does this and blah 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 and justin's going on about how he can't find any bugs in there because if he finds a bug then he's out and I'm like googling the, other hotels in the googling area. all these like, yeah so they're like oh there's a holiday yes yeah. my favorite yeah <laughs> where we always stay so by the time we get to this hotel i'm like seething <laughs> i'm like just get the fuck out of the car i was like i'm gonna go in and check in they're like you want us to come i was like no just stay in the car so i go in because, of course, they're like, oh, what is this place? It looks like an apartment complex. It was bizarre. I get out of the car. I go get the keys. She was the front entrance lady. was really nice. We go to the room. And it was actually pretty good. It was awesome. The beds were so yeah. comfortable. Like, the floors were nice. The bathroom was nice. It was all clean. We had a full kitchen. I was like, yeah. you know what? You done good. Yeah, there was like a kitchen, there's like the two beds, there was the couch there. It was super nice. The beds were comfy, the bathroom smelled like it had been cleaned. Everybody's giving me high fives. I'm on cloud nine. I'm like, that's right, I did it. So we go to leave to meet Kyle and everyone, and the, the door won't close. And I'm like, that's weird. So like it won't latch. And then we look, and the door right around the lock looked like it had been kicked in. <laughs> and we were like, I was like, oh, shit. And Justin's like, oh, I've kicked in doors. I know what that looks like. <laughs> so I go to the front entrance again. And I was like, hey, uh, the door like won't lock. And she was like, well, did you try locking it? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> it just it, it doesn't lock. And she's like, all right, well, maintenance will be here in like three hours. And I was like, well, I don't have time for that because I, I, I got stuff to do. Can we just get another room? 
And she was like, yeah, I'll give you a room on the other side of the complex. So we drive around there. And of course, we get in there. And it's got rug. And it just reeks of whatever weird. It wasn't like cigarettes. It was like a a whole like melting pot of cigarettes, bodily fluids, food. It It was was dingy. And it was dark. It smelled weird. Like the kitchen was funky. And then I go to lay on the bed. Mm. And it was hard as a freaking rock. I was so pissed. And I'm like to be very punctual about things, almost to like an obsession. And at this point, Kyle's like, all right, well, we're going to be at the mall, like getting food. So like, come meet us before the movie. And I'm like, cool, we got to get there. And Paige is like, you know, there's a Holiday Inn Express only like 20 minutes away. We could go there. And I was like, I'm not about to ruin this trip. <laughs> so we just stayed there. <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> And Isn't it called like the Double Tree or something? Like that? <laughs> it wasn't the Double Tree. No, I don't think so. No, no, this was. Um, I don't know what it was. I could probably find it. It wasn't. It's not that big. I don't either. think it. No, it's not. Yeah, and let's not yeah. get. It wasn't sued. like. <laughs> it wasn't one of those hotels or motels that you look at. You're like, yeah, like you really made a bad decision. Like, what is it? Like Super Eight or like Motel Eight, whatever it is. Like, it wasn't like one of those. <laughs> yeah, like it had. It was good re- name recognition. I just, but yeah, so that was. Probably the worst hotel experience we've had. <laughs> when I went to uh, North Carolina at the end of 2020, uh, me and Mark stayed in a hotel. Uh, well, he booked the hotel, and then we get there, and it's like a golf course. And there's like room, like a clubhouse, but it has like mm. rooms. I don't. So people are like outside our window at like 7 a.m., ready to go golfing, just talking. And like the beds were right next to the window. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, Guys, it's 7 a.m. Please stop fucking talking outside you my window. If, like a golf ball came sailing through there. It wasn't like that close to the golf course, though. Like you had to go oh, okay. to the golf course, but like that was the clubhouse, so very uh, obnoxious. We live right across the street from like a country club, but there's a huge net <laughs> that sticks out like a sore thumb that hopefully catches all those balls. Well, cool. Well, uh, no hauntings, nothing like that. I wish. No. Yeah. We- I've stayed at a haunted hotel, but I've never seen no. anything. Which one? Um, a couple, actually. So I stayed at I don't know I don't know all their names. I stayed at this like little inn, I guess, in New Hampshire, and it's supposedly haunted on their FAQs. It said like one of the questions was, is it haunted? And their response was just, it can be if you want it to be winky face. And I was like, <laughs> oh. okay. <laughs> And then I stayed at this resort up in like the mountains in Maryland or something that like it was originally built as one of those like natural springs where people would go thinking they could cure their like cancer with water and you know from the 20s and so it's supposed to be incredibly haunted. Oh. I have never stayed at a place that they said was haunted. Uh our friends went to Ohio and stayed where um what is it the Mothman is supposed to be? and they said yeah yeah and they said that they didn't see anything but it was a very creepy vibe and atmosphere um they were offered to stay in like the room where i guess like somebody had been murdered and that's where everybody reported all the hauntings but they said they wouldn't do it and i don't know if i would do that either i feel like i would talk a big game and be like yeah let's do it let's do it let's do it and then when it came time to check in i'd be like yeah no we'll take the room like as far away from that one as possible i'm down for the murder room let's go i don't know <laughs> been talking about hotels, so now it's time to talk about Stephen King's book about one of the most terrifying 
evil hotels, The Overlook, in his third debut novel, The Shining. And Kenneth has a bit of a summary for us, so I will give it over to her. Okay. And like I said in the last episode, the summary is a refresher for anyone who's read it or just giving people who haven't read it a gist. So it doesn't cover everything, but it's the, the main points. Right. So The Shining follows the Torrance family, recovering abusive alcoholic and struggling writer Jack, timidly brave Mama Bear Wendy, an intellectual prodigy and second sighted five year old Danny. After a series of unfortunate events instigated by Jack's inability to control both his drink and his temper, and in a last-ditch effort to get his shit together, Jack takes a job as the off-season caretaker for the Overlook Hotel, a famous building on a, with a sordid history high in the Colorado mountains. Prior to their arrival at the Overlook, Danny is given a premonition by his quote-unquote imaginary friend, Tony, warning him against going to the hotel and foreshadowing terrible and deadly occurrences there. Nevertheless, the family drives up begins their winter at the ominous hotel. Upon arrival, they're introduced to the Overlook's on-season cook, Dick Halloran. Dick tells Danny about his telepathic, um, that his telepathic and psychic abilities are called the Shining, and Dick has it as well. He tells Danny to use his Shining to call for Dick if there's an emergency or any problems, and he'll come. The Torrance's stay at the Overlook starts well, everyone seems to be happy, but that all changes when Jack discovers a bound uh, scrapbook of news articles about the Overlook Hotel in the cellar. They go through the hotel's history from its conception to all the grisly goings on that occurred within the walls. After this, Jack begins an unhealthy obsession with the Overlook. He starts to demonstrate his old drinking mannerisms sans alcohol. His temper shortens, occasionally considering harming, even killing Wendy and Danny, and he starts to see and interact with the old haunts of the building's history. The family gets snowed in, um, cutting off their connection to the nearest town as Jack slowly loses his sanity and the hotel shows more and more of its malice to Danny, even harming him. Between the violence of his father and the hotel, Danny decides to call for Halloran, who immediately begins his trek back to the Overlook. Eventually, everything comes to a head and Jack attempts to kill Wendy, then Halloran, before going after Danny. And during their confrontation, Danny informs whatever has taken over his father that it forgot to check the building's dangerously temperamental boiler earlier that day. As Jack goes to the cellar, Wendy, Danny, and Halloran make it out just as the Overlook Hotel blows and goes up in flames. Ooh, explosive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for the summary. Um, so a couple firsts here with this story. Uh, right off the bat, you know, it's the first one that he has written that's not set in Maine or New England. Carrie's in Maine, Salem's Lot is in Maine. Um, I know it's only the third book, but still he decided it was a change of pace. And it was also the first novel that he started writing when he actually was in a position where he had money. So for Carrie and Salem's Lot, he was writing those from the trailer with no telephone. And now he's able to just pick up his family and move to Boulder, Colorado. The story goes that he said, all right, I want to get out of Maine. I want to give this new story a different background, a new setting. And he opened up an atlas map and just randomly pointed to a spot uh, in the United States, and it landed on Boulder. So he packed up good old Tabby, and I don't know which kids he had at this time, um, and said, you know what? We're going to go stay here while I write this novel. So he went to Colorado to the Stanley Hotel, and... There's a couple things about it here. Um, They checked in in October of 1974. Uh, They were the only two guests in the hotel that night. 
And they said that when they arrived, they were just getting ready to close for the season, and they found their themselves as the only guests in the place with all these long, empty corridors. Now, King had already had this idea for a story about a, um, a kid with psychic abilities after he had read a Ray Bradbury novel from the 1950s called The Velt. Um, and Stephen King was a huge fan of Ray Bradbury. Like, it comes up a lot in all his interviews. Um, but then he kind of never really followed up with that story and abandoned the book. But during the stay at the Stanley that night, it came back to him. So King and Tabby had dinner. They were offered only one choice for dinner, which was the only meal still available. Uh, they had, you know, orchestral music playing in the room, um, and theirs was the only table set for dining. And so except for their table, all the chairs were, like, up, like it's closing time in a bar, right? And, like, you walk in as everybody's closing down. But they said with these long hallways and corridors the music's just like echoing and bouncing off the walls giving it this really ghost-like feeling and king says that quote it was like god had put me there to hear that and to see those things and by the time i went to bed that night i had the whole book in my mind so after dinner his wife decided to go to bed but king decided to walk the empty hallways of the hotel and he ended up in a bar and was served drinks by a bartender named grady and he said, that night I dreamt of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulder, eyes wide, screaming. He was being chased by a fire hose. I woke up with a tremendous jerk, sweating all over, within an inch of falling out of bed. I got up, lit a cigarette, sat in a chair looking out the window at the Rockies, and by the time the cigarette was done, I had the bones of the book firmly set in mind. And he says, sometimes you confess, you always hide what you're confessing to. That's one of the reasons why you make up the story. When I wrote The Shining, for instance, the protagonist of The Shining is a man who has broken his son's arm, who has a history of child beating, who has beaten himself. And as a young father with two children, I was horrified by my occasional feelings of real antagonism towards my children. Won't you ever stop? Won't you ever go to bed? And time has given me the idea that probably there are a lot of young fathers and young mothers, both who feel very angry, who have angry feelings toward their children. But as somebody who's been raised with the idea that the father knows best and Ward Cleaver on Leave it to Beaver and all this stuff, I would think to myself, oh, if he doesn't shut up, if he doesn't shut up. So when I wrote this book, I wrote a lot of that down and tried to get it out of my system. But it was also a confession. Yes, there are times when I felt very angry towards my children, and I've even felt as though I could hurt them. Well, my kids are older now. Naomi's 15, Joey's 13, and Owen is 8, and they're all super kids, and I don't think I've laid a hand on one of my kids in probably seven years. But there was a time. So, I mean, clearly we've talked about it. He always, you know, his life comes through these writings, you know, you write what you know, but can you imagine like whatever kid this book was dedicated to? And then, you know, when you grow up, you listen to this interview of your dad being like, yeah, I could have beat the shit out of my kids. Like, I don't know how I'd feel about that. What about you guys? I told you previously that I was disturbed by this man because all of that came from somewhere inside of him. And I was like, how are you going to be his wife when he just like can pour out all of this vicious stuff about beating his wife to death? Like, right. So this just, I mean, I had never heard you talk about this before and that confirmed it. Like, Oh yeah, I have those thoughts. Oh, uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 I witnessed something kind of similar to this. Um, I won't, I won't give names because I don't know how personal the story is, but I was talking with this person and their parents and their father kind of admitted that had their mom been okay with it, he would have like, phys- like done physical discipline 
it to this person and their sibling and later they were like i can't believe like i just found out that my dad was okay like hitting me if my mom had been okay with it and it was mind-blowing to, to hear that for the first time yeah i mean i got beat with everything as a kid like belts wooden spoons dr scholl's inserts whatever was really available my <laughs> parents just like <laughs> yeah it, it happened once yeah oh my um, god I used See, to so, we were verbally <laughs> abusive, so uh, yeah. I got hit with oh, words. There was that too. They would verbally and emotionally just like tear us down. And then the go-to was a wooden spoon and Ugh. it would be bare ass too. So you'd have to strip down in front of my dad. Usually my mom never spanked us. You had to wait for your father, which I think goes into the story, right. but dad would get home and he'd like pray with us, whoever he had to spank first. And then they would get you ready and we had like a whole chart on our fridge that said like you know if you complain you get a smack on the hand you have to write like 10 blessings lying was the worst one my dad hated liars and so he was like if you lie you get three spanks like three hard spanks you're grounded for two days which for me was my books just got taken away and i didn't have any friends and then you had to like recite a couple verses so they'd come in you'd strip down and they would go to spank you. And he, sometimes, he doesn't admit to it now, but I, I was there. He would do a false swing to get you to clench. And then as soon as you stopped clenching, that's when he would get you. So not to get you know too deep into my childhood, childhood trauma here, but- uh, That sounds like something my dad would have done. He, yeah. uh, he was mostly verbal, but it just, that's like, I feel like that is very much- threaten and then like actually pounce you know yeah the worst part was afterwards they would like he would make me hug him he'd be like all right come here give me a hug i was like oh, hug you just like oh my beat God. me um anyways the <laughs> sorry, shining listener. right sorry listeners um didn't mean to bring up any trauma <laughs> for you guys uh the shining was also heavily influenced by shirley jackson's the haunting of hill house which uh i believe was the opening excerpt of salem's lot if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. uh Third book to mention, The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, I guess we could call that a major influence. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe's short stories, The Fall of the House of Usher, um, The Mask of Red Death by Poe. The other thing, too, is I found this weird because when I was going through Stephen King interviews about The Shining and his books at the time, especially going into The Stand, he says that he wasn't a huge fan of Poe, but when I was reading this, even before, like I, I went into the backstory of it, like I really got the vibes of Fall of House of Usher. And I just find it almost impossible that he didn't have that in mind when he was writing this. But I guess you can have a story in mind and actually not like it, but whatever. Um, before writing The Shining, he had written Roadwork and The Body. The Body would later go on to be adapted into probably one of the best adaptations of his work, uh, Stand By Me. Uh, first draft of The Shining took less than four months to complete, and he was able to publish it before the others. Uh, title was inspired by the 1970 John Lennon song, Instant Karma, which contained the line, we all shine on. Uh, the original title was just going to be The Shine, but then his editor and publisher was like, uh, you know, that's kind of like a racial slur or can be taken as one. And he was like, okay, you're right. Uh, I didn't look it up, but that's what I read. Uh, oh, and interesting. Then his editor also tried to talk him out of The Shining because he said, hey, you already did Carrie, you already did Salem's Lot. I don't think you want to get typecast as a horror writer. And King said, no, I think I do. 
and then he you know <laughs> would later go on to do Richard Bachman stuff and regret that. But that's uh, that's a little bit of the background on The Shining. Does anybody else have any, anything to add? No. Well, I guess I can uh, use this as like you way into I told you guys I might blab about some art history yeah. um, because you mentioned Poe because like at the beginning he um, he puts a little bit of Poe I think it might be yeah, the mask of the red death at the beginning right under where he mentions Poe's mask of the of the red death he also brings up Goya which is a Spanish artist and I fangirled a little bit because um, I studied him in college and um, the piece that King actually mentions, pulling up my page, is um, The Sleep of Reason Breeds Monsters, which is a line from the artwork, but also the title of the artwork. And it's um, an etching in a group of Enlightenment pieces that criticize like um, the government and the upper class and the church and overall like superstition. And um, there's a line that also goes with that piece that says, um, imagination, if not restrained by reason, brings forth uh, monsters, but combined with reason is the mother of the arts and source of wonders, which I thought was like a really good inspiration for the book. But um, what's also really interesting about Goya is he has a little bit of that like Jack Torrance madness. He, um, he got sick at some point in the middle of his life and he lost his hearing totally. He went totally deaf and he ends up having a breakdown and so a lot of his art focuses around like madness and his own sanity and um his own like pessimistic attitude towards humanity and he's got pieces called like yard with lunatics the madhouse things like that um so i thought it just fit really well as inspiration for the book or just for referenced at all yeah no that's a really good point i you know the only goya i know is like the the brand of like seasoning <laughs> and like beans that I used to seasoning. stock in a grocery store. Um, yeah, no, that's crazy. Makes so much. There's so many things in this book too that, I mean, I guess we should start with this. This is my first time reading this book. Kenneth, your first yeah. time. Paige, your first time. Yeah. Kyle, you've read this before, right? Yeah, I've read this. And then, so for this time around, I just listened to kind of compare but uh and to refresh myself but yeah I, I read this but it just seems like even at that first time through there's so many interesting things that are littered throughout the book that kind of are callbacks to the hotel or um just kind of foreshadow the the impending doom so i mean i i can't even imagine i, I know we're going to get to him and this isn't the book yet but like when he starts getting his coked out phase where he doesn't even remember writing certain books i'm like dude how do you still write a book with all of this all of this information and you're like yeah i don't even really remember how i did it or oh not to talk about God. it now but you know 30 40 years later he has dr sleep come out which is supposed to be the sequel to the shining and it's like how do you remember all these things that you wrote 30 40 years ago and then have to go back and like reread the book and i just couldn't do it um yeah, so I guess we can just get into characters now. Um, do you guys want to do it where we list our favorite character again, like we did last time, because that went over so well? Or do we just want to take it up character by character? What do you guys think? Right. Just All don't right. let me go first, and we'll be fine. I feel like character by character is probably, I don't know if anyone has like a very special feeling towards a specific character, but I was trying to think of my favorite, and I was like, there's really only like right. four characters. That can really be well, your favorite. We can just go character so, by character then. Um, Whatever you guys good with that? You guys want. All right, cool. So 
let's start off with the big man himself, Danny Torrance. Sweet boy. I love him. I know, sweet baby. <laughs> he is my yeah. all-time favorite Kyle. character so far of any of the books. Like, I'm obsessed with this little boy. Not in a weird way, yeah. but I just love him with my heart. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Still comes yeah. off weird, but... Um, I mean, Kyle, is he better than Mark Petrie? I'd say he's better... Mm, no. <gasps> no. Mark... Mark was cold-hearted, and I liked how ruthless he was. Danny, oh God. I think, you know what? I'm going to say he's selfish. Um, he just wanted his mom and dad to get along just for his own sake, so he didn't have to watch him fight. Five. And wow! And he could have warned every, anyone ahead of time, and instead he just kept it deep down and said, you know what? Even when there were signs, he saw the writing on the wall. He said, I'm not saying anything. Literally, writing yeah. on the wall. Yeah. He's literally selfish. Wow, that's a hot take. Yeah. Okay, well, right off the bat. I'd like to say Wait. that all five-year-olds <laughs> are selfish. That is, you know, that's the thing, is like, I don't know, self-preservation. And all you, your world is your parents. So that's really what you focus on. But also, he, he kept talking about how he was worried they weren't going to believe him. And that's a huge reason why he didn't bring up any of this stuff, was that, like... He didn't even understand it really. And then he was worried if he told them about it, that he would have, you know, the men in the white coats come and take him away. Yeah. So is he better or worse than Mark, Mark Petrie? Who's better? I don't know. They're so, because I mean, one is like a 10 year old who, I mean, <laughs> one is five. It's hard to like judge their behavior. Um, I want to like yeah, Mark more, but. I don't know. I feel like Danny is really brave for a five-year-old. All right. Good call. Paige? I mean, I literally love him to death. Like, <laughs> oh. he's... I Seriously, like, for a fictional character, it is insane, like, how many emotions I feel for this child. He's the best. Is he better or worse than Mark Petrie? Oh, he's better. Oh. He's okay. better. I wouldn't say he's brave, though. I'm scared <laughs> you of a wouldn't fire say hose. He's, oh my brave? Gosh. he's a child. You remember, he came face to face with his father. Oh, that's a whole. Anyway. Whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down. Calm down. I really I, liked the, the talking I about the. I have a lot to say about bit. that scene. All right. So I like Danny. I think that I like Mark more, but it's only because <laughs> I hate little kids. And. Mm. Yes, Danny's brave, but like I still couldn't get past the I hate little kids, and he was so annoying. Because I was like, <laughs> and yes, I understand that you know when you're five, everything your parents are everything, and you're really scared about people not believing you. And, and Danny definitely was. But when he's in that car with Halloran, and Halloran's like, "You gotta tell me something, tell me," and Danny's like, "Nah, I'm not gonna tell him. It's all right. I don't want my parents to get a divorce." Mm -hmm. I'm like, I've been through like four divorces, man. It's fine. Oh my god! Yeah, and look how you yeah, turned you're out. You're great, Brady. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Probably better than Danny. I guess we'll find out. But I, I just, I, uh, I, I really do think he's brave. I have some problems with his character at the end of the book, where it's like all of a sudden it's this five year old acting like he's like thirty, and I was like, mm, this doesn't really add up. I think it was a little rushed. Um, but I mean, I, 
I get the feelings of like, oh man, like I don't feel like anybody's going to believe me. You know, I, I don't want my parents to get a divorce. Like it's all common things that you, you have when you're a kid. And this kid is a special kid who can read his parents' thoughts. So they're mm -hmm. like, no, we're not going to get a divorce. But he's like, ah, you're fucking lying to me. I can see that word. I might not know what it means, but I mean, what he, he makes the comparison that it's like tug of war or like a tennis court or something like that. Um, He's a cute, funny little kid that finds himself in a really terrifying situation. But he's uh, also well. very smart, too. So he may be afraid to tell his mm -hmm. parents because he legitimately thinks, especially after what happened to that other kid's dad, he's like, they're going to lock me away forever. But he's pushing himself to be able to learn how to read to understand what he's seeing even better. Like, so, yeah, he may not tell his parents, but he's trying to help himself and them by trying to figure it out for everyone. Yeah. And he also understands that some of the things he sees doesn't always come true. Like I think he mentions how he was having visions about a baby and he was really excited about a new sibling and then that never yeah. happened. And um, he also understands because he's super smart, he understands how important the job is for the family, for his parents and for his yeah. dad. So Yeah. So take that selfish. But, he... <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, when things start going down and then Wendy talks to him and is like, do you want to leave? He could have said, you know what? That's probably a good idea because he knew it was a good idea. But he, he loves did. his daddy. Said, yeah. Just because he loves someone doesn't mean you should stay with them even though well, they're going to murder Well, he didn't you. know that he was going to murder him. It was a figure in his vision. It wasn't daddy. A, a tiger. Good. Wow. We're coming out hot and heavy <laughs> with the... Uh... With this one, I mean, some serious hate for a child over here. I don't hate him. I hate children, but I don't hate. Oh, I like uh, Danny too. I forgot to say I did like Danny, but I just yeah. think he's selfish. Um, I think that Stephen King does a really good job of writing him as a child who is like stuck between this. I need to keep my parents together, and also like I need to make sure they survive. Um, but then you go into the backstory of it, and I, I really, I know we'll get into the movie a little bit at the end. Um. But I think it is hard to kind of separate the movie from the book if you've seen the movie before you read the book, which is what I did. Mm -hmm. um, but I do like how in the book you get a lot of backstory before they even get to the hotel. And there's Danny sitting on the curb waiting for his dad for him to come home from work. He's seeing visions of Tony, who's his imaginary friend. Right. We'll get into that. Um, he just got uprooted from his town with his friends. He got moved across the country to a place where there's no kids out there. There's really no playground. He knows that his parents are going to get a divorce. And now he has to go to a hotel where he, like Kyle said, knows something bad is there. And he just doesn't know what or how it's going to manifest itself. But on the other hand, he knows that this is supposed to be good for his parents, like economically good. Um, and I, I mean, I, as a 26 year old can't even fathom having to make that decision with all that knowledge and let alone be a five-year-old. So, yeah, um, I think I can give him a pass for being a little selfish. Um, but you know, we would definitely have to sit down and have a discussion with him afterwards about like where he went wrong, what he could do better next time. And Oh my go dear God. <laughs> I just want to give that sweet you know little you... boy a hug. Oh my God. You, you're Halloran. You sit down next to him at the dock. And you're <laughs> yeah. like, okay. So what could you have done? Honestly, right. He's like, Look, it's time for reviews. You changed um, my mind. <laughs> the years come to a close, and we right. need to talk about your performance in Q4. Let's see how bright that shine is now. Um, you you did change my mind. You're you're right. He knew it was financially good for the family, and I'd rather be 
like dead and poor than or <laughs> you oh my god <laughs> dead <laughs> and poor <laughs> dead than than poor sorry um all right well th- there we go there's danny torrance anybody want to add anything else about doc also love um, the nickname. I, I always wanted a cool nickname go ahead yeah i i, I always wanted a cool nickname too but i no one ever gave me one yeah but I, got, I got i got my name shortened brady bray. got shortened to bray and then my oh. dad was like, oh, well, when I was a kid, I was called Bunks. So I can call you Bunks. And I was like, what does that even yeah. mean? Like bunk bed? Bunks? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, I initially had trouble with the way that King wrote Danny just because I was like, this kid doesn't sound like a five-year-old. I My niece is five. I know what a five-year-old sounds like. And um, But after he, they went to the doctor and the doctor mentions how he's like, far advanced verbally or like spoken word wise at like than a five-year-old should be i was like okay they've acknowledged it i will i'll let it pass they've acknowledged it well Um, i don't want to bring this up but when i was in fourth grade i tested out a ninth grade vocabulary so when um, you were in fourth grade wait when you were in fourth grade that makes you five years old when you were in fourth grade i'm just saying there are some parallels here he hasn't improved since then though no i haven't ninth grade so (laughs) Uh, yeah when i was in second grade i read at a fourth grade level and that's where i stopped so (laughs) i'm sure this was a tough book for you then (laughs) but anyway why do you guys think i I listen to audiobooks (laughs) yeah yeah um i also enjoyed the like innocence the king gave him though where you know the whole scene with the like the fire hose and him being afraid of the fire hose mm. and then um the fact that he didn't understand that like presidential suite meant like a room that he was like i didn't see any candy i just thought that that was so sweet and what it like it really showed you his innocence compared to like the darkness of the hotel and i loved it yeah, yeah it almost makes it seem like he's not really advanced as they said you know oh yeah God. you wouldn't know the word sweet not in dick and jane books <laughs> Ooh, damn um all right well that's uh that's about it for danny let's move on to mama bear wendy torrance who wants to go first i think she's a lovely lady thank you because i agree with you but you know who doesn't oh my god I oh was so mad when Brady shared his feelings. He said, she's so naggy. She's so <laughs> annoying. I understand why he wanted to hit her with a mallet. That That's was like, not what, what I said. What? That's not what I said. That is exactly okay. what you said. I you- can already tell you, I know what's going on in his head. He's comparing the movie Wendy with the book Wendy too much. Right. Where in the movie, she is really annoying. And I would hit her too. <laughs> Eight <laughs> times over. Brady literally texted me one day and said, hey, don't ever make me have to try to kill you with a mallet, okay? As if it would be my fault that he was doing that to me. All right, look, let me defend myself here. So, (laughs) yes, I do think that a lot of it does bleed into the movie because in the movie, a a lot is different in that than it is the book, especially with the character of Wendy. And after reading the book, initially, I think she's set up as a really great character. I think she's got a strong background where she is struggling with motherhood and being married to an alcoholic who keeps slipping and sliding. She's worried that she's going to turn out to be the mother to Danny that her mom was to her, neglectful, narcissistic. And so that's kind of always in the background. Also, coming from the standpoint of, you know, myself being an alcoholic, I understand the whole quote unquote nagging aspect of somebody checking in with you all the time. So, 
then as I was reading, I was like, okay, well, like we're getting a lot of her just like, it seems like she's whiny. It seems like she's naggy, but maybe that was King was writing through the perspective of Jack because that's how Jack sees her in the book. And so I, maybe I didn't, I don't know if you guys caught it, but I didn't see any clear design where it was like, Jack sees her this way. Unless, until he was like, all right, well, she's the reason I'm drinking. She's the reason I lost the job. She's the reason we're here. But everything ab about her is paired with him and through his perspective. But then the times that she's with Danny, she's really sweet and she's very motherly and she does care about Jack. I mean, she tries to live in her denial of what Jack is doing until he breaks her fucking ribs with a mallet. So I think that I don't hate her and I like how she was written, but I don't know if it's detrimental to her character that he wrote her through Jack's perspective. What do you think? I definitely could see how it might be like through Jack's perspective. Cause I feel like it's like Danny and Jack, we get a lot more of those little like italicized text that's there in inner thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you don't really get that as much with Wendy. So I could see that I didn't find her naggy at all. I just like, and I, I loved her and I thought she was such like a good mom to Danny. Like the, there's a line when, um, after Danny gets attacked by the lady in room 217 or something. And um, he says like, he uses a her pronoun. And so there's a whole, like Jack starts to think that Wendy hurt him. But then there's a line where he says like, Wendy would rather light herself on fire than hurt Danny. And I was like, yes, Wendy, same. Mm, yeah. I mean, and I may maybe it is just the contrast because you get her perspective of worrying about her husband because he has this pattern of behavior and she's simply just making sure that he's okay. And then you have him who's like, of course I'm okay. Stop checking in with me. So I think maybe that's, that's what it was. And I mean, it's the cabin fever aspect. They're all stuck together. There's nobody else to talk to except, you know, the ghosts. Kyle. Um, I would say you can't really blame her though, for keep like for checking in on Jack. Like, even though she knows there's no alcohol, like, he's acting weird at that point, you know? Because um, Like the rubbing his mouth and yeah, everything? Yeah, because for a while, she is actually yeah. happy with their situation until shit starts going sideways and fast. Um, yeah. I do like how ruthless she is. And when the whole ending's going down and Jack is really freaking out, she and she already stabbed him in the back. She says, like, okay, like, I'm willing to put myself in harm's way just to protect Danny. I do like that aspect where she says like, I could do more damage to him before he puts me down kind of thing. Um, yeah. I do like that. Um, I, I was here. She's written stronger in the book than she was portrayed in the movie. Um, I used to say no, but until I rewatched it and Shelly Duvall is literally the worst, worst of the worst. Um, no, yeah. I like Shelly Duvall. Not necessarily well, I don't think it's her. I think I like it's her, her. Fault. Yes. I like her, but her in that movie. Oh, right. Is, like awful like like when he just says like fuck off and she's like yeah okay yeah i'm yeah, like yeah. i'm like please please just punch him in the face please just once um but i in the book i i, I don't know i kind of thought that like she was like that but she's really not um she she's i don't know definitely trying everything she can to hold the family together and um she even realizes you know she's smart she realizes that's not jack she realizes something's affecting him it's not him but um i i do like how she's just wild saying that she'll put herself in harm's way just to do some more damage to him. That's exactly how she puts that. Right. And I like it. Yeah. Anything else about Wendy? 
I was going to say something and I can't remember what it was. Um, oh, no, no, no. Now I got it. So because like I I guess I could see how she'd be naggy. But then I was thinking like if if Jack had gone through like the um, the official way of going sober, if he had joined like AA, he'd have someone checking in on him like that. Like there I, I don't I don't know AA that well, but I from my understanding you, you get like yeah you get like a sponsor who checks in on you and makes sure you're doing all right so like but your just, job as an addict is also to contact the sponsor and say hey i'm having these thoughts and feelings okay yeah yeah i think it's also like different in her like i get what you're saying yes yeah, somebody would be checking on him but that person doesn't necessarily have the background and the history and the emotional baggage that comes with the knowledge she has of jack breaking danny's arm That's true. which so the sponsor doesn't yeah, which right. i'm also like how can you expect her to forget that you he's exactly. like get over it you're gonna like be on my deathbed saying like oh do you remember when you broke danny's arm and it's like yeah i'd be bringing it up all the time too because i kind of wish she said that i kind of wish she <laughs> said like yeah you're right i fucking will yeah i mean she did she said yeah i'm constantly afraid that you're gonna hurt him but i'm also afraid that everything is gonna hurt him because he's so fragile right. so yeah. she she did mention it to him and i think like um I had very strong feelings about her and I think Brady had very strong feelings about her because it's kind of like a sensitive personal matter that we've had to deal slightly with. Um, obviously not to the point where he's going to murder me, but, um, <laughs> but just, I don't plan on it. No. no, thank you. I appreciate that. Cause now they'll know who did it. It's now you. They'll know. Um, mm -hmm. it's Kyle. It's always the boyfriend, but I think it's friends. like, Boyfriend. You got a boyfriend? I said husband after <laughs> oh. I said boyfriend. I said boyfriend or husband. Well, to be fair, you've referred to Paige as your girlfriend, so. That's true. It's so rude. It was by accident. I had to <laughs> yeah, go. I corrected Don't myself. I'm on, I'm on your side. Thank you. Right? Thank you. Um, but no, I just think that, um, like, it's something that we've had to deal with as well, where um, the, your drinking in the past has had some issues in our marriage, yeah. whatever. Um, and so your ultimate goal is to get me to trust you again completely, right? So I think that's what you kind of put out when you're reading this as well is like, why won't she ever trust him? That's not fair that she won't give him a clean start. Like, I think that's why you see her as naggy because she's not willing to give him a second chance essentially in your mind. And you're like, well, that's not fair. People can change. Um, but I also see it as like, if my spouse was ever that bad like lying to me out in all hours of the night like broke my son's arm beat this child up at school like absolute insanity i would never mm. be able to trust that person again completely ever like it it just couldn't ever be repaired yeah 100 percent. um well anything else about wendy yeah, I want to say she's a, a, probably the most layered character to me in this book because all of that, like, aside, she also, like, she's trying to make things work because she doesn't want to go back to her mom's and she knows she can't, like, really be on her own with Danny. And yeah, that Dan situation at her mom's house is awful, too. Yeah, Danny's like, oh, I know you don't want to go there. I guess that's also why he's like, we have to go back to the hotel. Yeah. When she's like, do you want to leave, Doc? He's like, no, because I know Grandma wants to take me away from you. Exactly. And he's selfish. And yeah. he's like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, well, I don't want to be happy. Grandma. She smells bad. It's all about me. Yeah. yeah. Fucking Danny. Right, Danny. Um, all right. Well, I want to move into 
my favorite character next, which mm. is Dick Halloran. Okay, I was waiting for you to say Jack Torrance. <laughs> oh, see, I knew <laughs> it. Okay. I mentioned something about me being an alcoholic, and all of a sudden my favorite character is Jack, huh? Both um, makes sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. My favorite character up to this point is Dick Halloran. I think he's just a genuinely good person. Like, this book is full of people who... It just it shows their struggle with being with each other and being good to each other, right? So whether it's validated or not, or not validated, but whether it's warranted or not with Wendy trying to figure out if she should stay with Jack, Jack figuring out like if he should try harder, Danny trying to figure out if he should make the decision to go to grandma's or stay at the Overlook, right? But Dick just seems like he he's like, you know, he... he tries to warn Danny in the car, but also comfort him at the same time. And he's like, yeah, you know, those things can't hurt you, which at first I was like, dude, you're lying to him. But then I think what it is is that Dick shine just isn't as strong as Danny's. And so maybe these things appear to Dick as more of like muted, muffled whispers or like peaks of vision. So he sees the lady in two, um, 237, but, I thought it was 237. 237. In the movie, it might be 237. Oh, sorry. Um, And, but Danny, like, gets attacked by her. So I think what his small piece of this are Danny's true, like, awful visions. Um, But then as soon as he hears Danny's scream for him, his shine, he drops everything and flies in the middle of the worst blizzard Colorado's seen, gets there, tries to have this long trek up there, even though everybody's like, dude, you shouldn't be doing this gets smashed in the face by a mallet and then still gets up and does his best to save them. So I think he's just, and his true goodness shows when the overlook tries to turn him against Wendy and Danny and he's able to resist it. Mm-hmm. So I think he's good. In that. And I really like the quote from the book at the end where he goes to Danny on the dock and he says, you listen to me. I'm going to talk to you about this once and never again the same way. There's some things that no six-year-old boy in the world should have to be told, but the way things should be and about the way things should be and the way things are, hardly ever get together. The world's a hard place, Danny. It don't care. It don't hate you and me, but it don't love us either. Terrible things happen in the world, and there are things no one can explain. Good people die in bad, painful ways and leave the folks that love them all alone. Sometimes it seems like it's only the bad people who stay healthy and prosper. The world don't love you, but your mama does, and so do I. You're a good boy. You grieve for your daddy, and when you feel you have to cry over what happened to him, you go into a closet or under your covers and cry until it's all out of you again. That's what a good son has to do. But see that you get on. That's your job in this hard world, to keep your love alive and see that you get on, no matter what. Pull your act together and just go on. So I I really like him. I think he's the best character in the whole book, and he's really there for Danny. He's like the stand-in dad almost, you know? Um. All right, Kenneth, what do you think of Halloran? I really liked him. Um, I was also taken by his interaction with Danny at the in the epilogue on the dock, where he just lets Danny cry. He just allows him to cry on him. Because I feel like, especially when the book was written, it was still very, like, that toxic masculinity. You don't cry, stiff upper lip. And he just was like, no, he's, you know... He's been through so much. Let him cry. Mm-hmm. I really, I just liked that. Yeah. Kyle, what do you think of Halloran? 
he's my favorite character too. So if we had to choose and you let me go first, I would have taken it again. So good thing you didn't. Wow. Um, I like his fatherly talks that he, I think he's had better and more fatherly talks with Danny in the like short time he knew him than Jack did, honestly. Um, well, to be fair, Jack tells him to take his medicine. That's what a good father does. You're right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Jack, when he was just Jack, he was a good dad. Like he did like, I don't know. We're talking about Dick now, but I, I think that like um, he's more of like an old timey guy and very lighthearted. But when push came to shove, he said, fuck it, I'm going to go save the day. And, you know, he had everything to lose and nothing to gain from helping. And he yeah. said, I'm going to just throw my job on the line. I'm throwing this other job that I have on the line, like the hotel job, like his own life. And he went and did it. I mean, he went through that blizzard, like you said. I mean, he borrowed shit from people that they're never <laughs> going to get back. Uh, Those gloves. Yeah. When he was <laughs> fucked up, when he, his face was swollen and he was hurting, he picked up Wendy and Jack or and Danny and said, let's go. Carried him yeah. away. Threw him on the uh, snowmobile and drove off. Yeah. Paige? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of you, obviously. And I think that it is kind of painful to have to watch someone who is so good not only be hurt physically, but throughout the book, he's also like confronted verbally many times yeah. by racial discrimination and it's like he doesn't miss a beat and it just like it was alarming to me how present that was throughout the book anytime he <laughs> existed essentially and like when was the book written uh 1974 i believe yeah it's just awful to think about how short of a time that was and how real those interactions would have been for a black man yeah, that was one of the the things I, I wrote a lot of notes about those kind of racial aspects of the book, to like directed towards Dick, because there was an entire part where I was like, is the house racist now? Like, mm -hmm. it, it was so like, vivid and aggressive. I was like, what is King like, what was going through his mind? when he's like, let's make the house yell this at Dick on his way here. Like, it's so aggressive. Yeah, I think it goes into, and we'll get to it later too, but like when you get to Pennywise and it, like Pennywise can manifest your deepest, darkest fears. And the clown is just one form that he takes. And I think the house has some of that as, or not the house, the, um, the overlook has a little bit of that aspect too, where it's, it's projecting what it knows you're afraid of. So yes, there are things in the hotel, like ghosts and spirits that it, it can conjure up, but I think it can also, Look, I mean, there's a reason it wanted Danny there. It wanted his shine, right? It knew that he had this immense amount of shine that it could then devour and then use to possess, or at least what I took away from it, possess and do the same thing over and over to basically anybody there, right? And it needed Jack to make sure that it didn't blow up because it needed a caretaker to take care of the boiler. So it's projecting all these things through the shine to Halloran that's hoping to elicit some sort of fear in him. And that's the thing that it knows to do because that's what Halloran faces every day, right? He knows that this guy is on his way to save this kid. So he's not really afraid of some of the things that are in the, the hotel that he knows about, but what can I do to make this guy turn around? That's just what I took away from it. Yeah, so I think um, most of the people that are manifested inside the hotel, aren't they from like the 20-ish era? 
and racism racism was definitely alive and well (laughs) then so um i think it just that's just what's in it you know um Mm -hmm. those people and it's not even like the people in it were really racist towards him it was i guess just jack and then the hotel itself manifesting itself but um in terms of how king was writing i we look at things with a 2022 vision and i get it that n-word probably shouldn't be used ever especially with a hard r um but there's parts where they are just using that towards him and or king himself talks about Halloran and he just uses the word freely and it not even in like he's trying to be offensive he just uses it and i think that's how a lot of people just refer to people and it wasn't always a bad thing it depended on the tone you used um yeah i, I would understand how it's jolting hearing seeing it now but um i think that was just also a 70s thing i don't think it was as big of a deal even to the people that were it was being said to um i know it holds a lot of history and bad connotation but I don't think it was as bad then. I don't think he would be using those words now to just freely talk about somebody. But uh, right. yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Like the 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 use of the word really in in any instance, I find offensive. But you go through literature back. I mean, like To Kill a Mockingbird. You go through late 19th century, early 20th century literature. The word is there, and I think that it was a product of the time because people at that time are using it in a way like, oh, this is just how we describe black people. Yeah. Nobody was there to be like, no, this is wrong. This is bad. Like, and then as you go through the ages, like it shows here, like even in the seventies, like King knows it's not a good word and he knows how to use it in the bad connotations. And then it just, to this point, yeah, I, I don't think he'll ever use it again. I hope not. Um, but yeah, not. it's a really good point. Um, but yeah. So that's, that's Dick, good old Dick Halloran. Um, and he's just a funny guy. I like his little quips. I like yeah. how lighthearted he is, even in the face of everything. Yep. Um, he just scene. has like a love of life, you know? Yeah. Like he's so easygoing and just like along for the ride. You do what you got to do. Just try to enjoy everything that you possibly can. I also like that before he gets a shine, he smells oranges because I think yeah. that'd be yeah. cool. Yeah. I wonder if that's a. Th- um a thing like kind of like with ben from sam's lot where ben's wife died so we well, i kind of attribute to his lightheartedness to or just being very upfront and himself about everything like mm. dick was in a war and he saw people die and his brother died and i think he's just like life's short why take i mean he serious? almost got killed by that bullet that hit his lighter right i think he said yeah he had so a, it's, some lighter yeah yeah so it's kind of like why take life so seriously when you know it could end any minute i'm just gonna make the the most out of everything yeah well, i thought well, it was interesting right. that king sorry that king chose oh. the smell of oranges as his like oh something's coming on because when danny goes to the doctors and they're like talking about his spells the doctor asks if he smells things right before like oranges so i'm assuming it's associated with some sort of like epileptic seizure or something mm-hmm. so i thought it was interesting that he continued he chose to go with that for mm. Dick's thing. Yeah, good point. Is King trying to say people who are epileptic actually have a shine? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll have to ask him. We'll send like an they're email. they're all superheroes or something. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. When they're not like, right. you know, biting off their tongues and stuff. <laughs> so that's, that's Dick Halloran. I mean, we got a couple minor characters that pop up here, but I think we got to get to the meat of it and talk about Jack Tony. Torrance. 
We already talked we about need... Tony. No, we didn't. Not Tony, really. To- look, Tony is the imaginary friend who turns out to be Danny Torrance from the future that he's able to. Is that tap what into. that is? Okay. That's what I took away from it. Well, okay, because I was wondering, because I, so again, to go back to when they're at the hospital and the doctor, like, mentions that his name is Tony and he's like, have you ever pointed it out to him why his imaginary friend's name is Tony? And they're like, no, we haven't. And I was like, hold on a second. What does that mean? What what, yeah. what are you talking about? And then later they're like, oh, his middle name is Anthony. Daniel Anthony Torrance. And I was yeah. like, oh! Is that actually him? Well, I thought well, it was because when he's talking to Tony when Jack's looking for him after he beats the crap out of Halloran and Wendy Tony's talking to him and is like I'm in the place where you are like I'm so deep in you that you know exactly where I am and then it said that Danny looked into the mirror and saw Tony was him 10 years in the future so I think it was him being able to like whatever psychic abilities he had this was just how it manifested itself and it was like the precognition I guess you could call it but that's yeah. what that's what I took from it. I could be completely wrong, and like Paige said in the last episode, Stephen King could one day listen to this, you know, <laughs> be like, "Man, this guy is full of shit." But I just assumed that it was um, Danny from the future, his future yeah. self, trying to help him. I guess we'll find oh, out wow. if we read uh, what Doctor Sleep. Yes. Doctor Sleep, yeah. I mean, since we're talking about imaginary friends, is is any does anyone else have any experience with imaginary friends? Of course, uh, uh, Brady. Brady, perhaps does Brady have any experience with imaginary friends? Which ones you want to know about? I want to know about Littlefoot. <laughs> All right. So I didn't have a lot of friends growing up, <laughs> and I had a lot of imaginary friends that I named after famous cartoon characters. One was Casper. One was Littlefoot from the Land Before Time, and. Littlefoot, these, okay, this is going to get weird, but we're talking about possessions and non-possessions. So these imaginary friends, I manifested through my Beanie Babies. So I just had them there. And then one day, like when I learned about the concept of death, my mom came in my room and was like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, like Littlefoot died. He killed him. He killed I didn't kill Littlefoot. He died on his own. He killed well, off his imaginary friend. <laughs> yeah, he he was fake. You you determined he was dead. You killed I him. I didn't determine he was dead. And then what'd you do? And then I did what anybody should do when somebody dies, and I buried that beanie baby. <laughs> you had a funeral. <laughs> oh, you'd be your parents watching from the kitchen window. <laughs> oh, you know what my mom did, though, for um, Casper? I said, it's Casper's birthday tomorrow. And she was like... Oh, okay. And I was like, he wants a cake. My mom made my imaginary friend a cake. Oh, see that? That's so She's sweet. complicit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That is We're not going to get into my mama issues. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is the only reason I wanted to talk about Tony again, was because I needed to expose you. I'm so sorry. Uh, have you never had an imaginary selfish. friend, Paige? No. He just not had a friend. Oh. I had siblings. Oh, I had I a sibling. Had, I still had at least well, two imaginary friends. I don't yeah. think I had any. I had siblings. That's why I had imaginary friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So it was really just a uh, let's mm-hmm. put Brady in the spotlight. Yeah, we can talk about yeah. anything else you want now. This is just uh, roast Brady the episode. Right, apparently, yes. Brady's an alcoholic. Brady had oh. these imaginary friends he buried. <laughs> oh. I'm pretty sure that Beanie Baby is still there. Well, I do want to <gasps> talk about Tony then, because if he is Danny from the future, then how come things that he would tell him sometimes wouldn't come true? Maybe they were memories that he had. 
And I, I don't, like, I don't know, I don't know if it's necessarily Danny from the future, like having the knowledge of everything that's happening. I think that there was, I don't know what you would call the shine. You would call it the shine. <laughs> it's not really tele. It's not really telekinesis. It's not is telepathy. I don't know what it is, but I think that it was. <sighs> He was able it just to just manifested yeah. as that. So, like the physical form that his visions took on were him from the future warning himself. But like he did it subconsciously because yeah. he didn't know Tony was Tony until that that one final moment. So I don't think it was really his older self talking to his younger self. Because if my older self was talking to my younger self, I would be a lot more detailed and specific about all of the things that might kill me. Um, you know? So it was almost like he was possessed with Tony himself. So is that why he said don't go to the hotel? Because he knew the hotel was going to try to possess him. And then it would have been a, it was like a possession fight over Danny. So you're asking I mean, if Tony's like he's bad? Possessed. No, I'm not saying he's bad. Just, I don't know. Just I some think kind of. Tony entity. is something that, like, the shine kind of manifested for Danny. Cause I feel like some of the things, like, the, um, like Dick talks about seeing the train crash that killed his brother and all of, like, the gore. And imagine being five and just seeing that and not having anyone there to be like, this is kind of what it means. I'm here with you, whatever. Like, I'm thinking maybe it manifested that to kind of guide him through it without scaring him too much. Yeah, that makes the most sense, actually. Yeah. Anybody else have anything about Tony? I wish Dick had a Tony. (laughs) Yeah, he does. That'd be sick. It's Richie. uh, Richie. (laughs) 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 Um, All right. Well, then I think we should probably just get into Jack real quick. Um, You want to talk about Ullman? No, I hate that guy. <laughs> no. We can talk about whatever the guy's name in the dog suit was. Oh, my, my God. Can we talk about that? <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, yeah we I... sure can. Was it How Roger? did you was guys imagine that dog costume? I imagined it like in the movie. Yeah, unfortunately. Wait, yeah. is it in the movie? It yeah. is. Oh, I haven't seen it in a while. Just very briefly. And it, uh, He's like uh, sucking okay. some dude's dick. Yeah. 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 Oh, but man. Okay, hold on. I'm going to. He's got, it describes it as a paper mache head. That he takes on and off in the book, like a mascot, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, how did um, you see it, Kenneth? <laughs> um. Okay. No, I'm looking up the uh, the image, and this is like not what I imagined. Because right? <laughs> this is probably a, more along the lines of what King was thinking. This costume from the movie, but what I was imagining, the way that it was described, was a little bit more kind of like leather. <laughs> And a lot more Ew, like, oh. like PDS, like kinky, which is why oh. I thought it was so creepy for like <laughs> this like, dog's just coming out in like chains. <laughs> I just like imagined it in this like I don't know like uh, Catwoman esque but dog costume in the hallway, just like being all weird towards a five year old boy. He and- literally said he wanted to eat his dick. Yeah, well, I mean, that was so upsetting. Yeah. And he, he said, said he'd start oh. with this plump little cock or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he sure did. Oh my god, oh. there's a lot of that where I'm oh. like, does King just want to bring? He just finds any excuse to bring up boobs and penises. What kind of dog is also a pedophile? Like that's too many. That that's too many well, things. Pick I one. I think that maybe this goes into the beliefs about gay people at the time where gay That's people were automatically pedophiles. Oh, yeah. No. And he, not that King believed that, but I think he was yeah. writing oh, it through that. 
Yeah. I did not get that subtext. Because that the lady, I think, that dances with Jack says something about how he's like bisexual or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I kind of that he followed that? um the dog guy followed uh Derwent the around. around. Yeah. Oh, I kind of just assumed that up. I just assumed that Stephen King's like, hey, this is a horror novel. That's pretty horrifying. I'm just gonna yes, add true. that in there. That's what Can I, I ask the men in the room. Because what like what I was saying, where I feel like he just likes to find any excuse to bring up testicles and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have ever been as scared as some of the characters are supposed to be, but he talks about like male characters feeling their like testicles doing things when they get scared. Hold on, I'm gonna find one of these lines. Um, but he like talks about like I think at some point it was like Dick's testicles felt like bags filled with shaved ice. Is that something you guys experience when you're scared? It's like uh, it's more like crushed ice, but not shaved ice. Basically, how are your balls? <laughs> describe uh, like when I'm when I'm. I would <laughs> like you to describe the sensation of having them to us. Don't, you shouldn't assume my gender that I'm, you know, a man. But you don't either way, balls. yeah. Uh, either way, uh, I I don't get People scared, with so penises I don't know what that's like. <laughs> The peanut so, guys. Yeah. So I, I honestly don't ever get that scared to where my balls feel any different. When you, when surprised. you're so when your adrenaline gets so high, I don't think you worry about what your testicles feel like. Honestly, have you ever Unless gotten a, Have you ever gotten a fear boner? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, me either. I just plenty of different yeah. kind of boners in my life. Right, right, right. Not, one, not no. fear though. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I thought that like your like privates aren't supposed to work when you're scared. Like if anything, they would go up into your body more. You know, because like you gotta move and do stuff uh make you aerodynamic sort of that's yeah how, that's how anatomy works <laughs> yeah that's how michael phelps did it right um does this conversation turn no into? i don't think yeah i mean usually like when i'm scared i get like a really like cold sweat like sensation mm-hmm. in the small of my back and like in my uh the, like my neck but i can't ever remember feeling anything in like my nether regions yeah well apparently stephen king did because he wanted to talk he about also it lived in Maine, so. it has it happened to him at least once jack had it happen mm-hmm. to him right as like with the topiary animals in the but i don't think hotel. i've ever been i can't say that it would never happen because i don't think i've ever been as scared as i could imagine myself I don't think I can imagine how scared I'd be if I saw these hedge animals running towards me. So my balls might shrivel up and feel like there's shaved ice in them. Have you ever almost been in a car accident or anything like that? Or in a car accident? Did your balls feel that way when you were in a car accident? You know, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, I I don't think you think about what your testicles are feeling like, honestly. Hmm. Well, Stephen King does. Also, now that we're on the the topic of... I'll give you all the insight on balls. Testicles? Weird squad. Weird no, body we need things. to redirect. We need to redirect back to Jack. <laughs> he is Jack's a well, this, this is with Jack. So I want to okay. talk about this real quick. There's a very like intense part of the book where like Wendy and Jack are realizing that something is going on in this hotel. And mm. Wendy's trying to talk about it. And there's like five pages where Jack is just playing with her nipples. Oh, I loved it. And they're having a <laughs> whole sure serious conversation. Yeah, she's like, I think we're in danger. And he's like, yep, I'm just going to loop another button off. And uh, here we go. But I, at that point, he was being possessed, no? I don't think at that point he was. I think the Overlook said, this is all you, buddy. Tap out. There's a lot of that where I'm like, Danny's in the fucking room, you guys. Where, like... And, like, there's a there's a part, I think, when, like, Wendy goes to check in on Danny, just, quote-unquote, just wearing her panties. And I'm like... I literally... I was like, Mom, when was the last... Like, how old was I when you stopped, like, 
being comfortable being naked in front of me. And she's like, like just last night. <laughs> she was like, you while you were sleeping. She's like, I don't think I've ever been naked in front of you outside of like giving birth to you. And I was like, really? And I was like, Wendy's just here standing, facing her son with her tits out. Just I saw my mom naked way too many times. Paige saw my mom naked. <laughs> me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've also seen your mom naked too many oh. times. Yeah. I think that's a really common thing for people to just do it in front of their kids when they're re- real young, especially sleeping. I don't have a kid, so I wouldn't know, but I would assume. I wouldn't know either. Um, I wouldn't know. Knowing a five-year-old, I feel like, sometimes. like if the, maybe if they're like one or two, but like five, and also especially that I, smart of a kid. They know stuff's going on in the hotel. I don't think they want to leave Danny alone, but they also got to get it in. You know, they're trying to right. like fix the relationship. And I guess that maybe think that'll help. So. That's the thing. It was just so misplaced. It really was. Part of that conversation where you like, you know what? I'm going to get those nips. And she liked it and let it happen. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad it was consensual. But like, what in the what? I could not. What else are you going to do? You're trapped. Yeah. And listen, as I, all right, I'm a guy. Okay. So whenever I, well, you have a penis, but you don't have balls is what you said. I got to watch what I'm saying right now, but right. The smoothest move you can do is bring a girl home, watch a horror movie. Because when they're scared, you know what they want to do? Bang. Not my wife. <laughs> Incorrect. Yeah, I know. Like, no. Okay, it's never worked, but you know, <laughs> it's still the smoothest move. <laughs> yeah. Brady will look at me and he's like, "So he in the mood?" And I'm like, "Don't even speak to me. No, like what? How insane are you? Absolutely not." So I should return that dog costume I bought. No. Oh, <laughs> I mean, look, if that's what you're into, I told you I, I will try anything out with you once. I'm not doing Whatever that. You I don't want. You know what? You better, no, no. you better okay. think about a lot of shit. Okay? We are learning way too um, much about Paige and Brady's so, relationship in this episode. I had a friend ask me that. Our old roommate, she was like, she used to work mm-hmm. for me too, but she was like, how? She was like, let's say that you've gone a year without sex. And I said, okay. And she's like, you're not married. And I was like, okay. And she was like, and you match with this person on Tinder and they're like, Hey, like, we'll definitely like hook up, but I need you to do something for me. Like, I need you to wear this dog costume and I need you to like eat food like a dog. And I need you to like go to the bathroom like a dog. And I was like, how long has it been? She was like a year. And I was like, "Mm, no, I would, I would. No, No, too many people have cell phones and cameras now. Nope. Yeah, that is literally well, what I, I was thought. Like, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, I, would I would be so paranoid that they were going to like sell it or like make mm. fun of me or like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care. Like, obviously, no kink shaming, but like, right. I don't I don't give a shit. Like, I don't know that person. I wouldn't trust them. Mm-hmm. I feel like exactly. that's a very like. Makes sense. You need a lot it's of trust for something like that. Yeah. What if you had a dog <laughs> oh costume on that covered your face? No, I wouldn't. No, That's all we? of it. No. All right. Okay, so about the dog costume, Skyver. though. Wasn't the yeah. dog costume described as, like, silver or something like that in the book? I thought so, yeah. Yeah. I that's... don't remember that. I just, the paper mache yeah. head really stuck out to me. I think I remember yeah. it being described as silver as yeah. well. So I imagine that's it being, why... this, like, shiny. That's why it's hard for me to picture what it looks like, because I know the movie, and, like, it's hard for me to separate. So when they say silver, I'm like, okay, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just going to picture the fucking movie i don't there's a lot of things in here that he describes that i have trouble picturing (laughs) yeah um number one is that number two 
is when he's beating himself with the mallet. Oh, well, and it we, talks about what? Well, okay. we gotta talk. Well, we gotta talk about Jack first. Well, I've been trying to talk about Jack for like the past twenty minutes. Brady, get back on you track. Were also, you were also trying to talk to us about wearing dog costumes. All right. Well, so. we talked about the dog guy. Anyways, here's Jack Torrance. All right. So, Jack is. I'm gonna start off with obviously. I don't like that Jack is trying to kill his family because I feel like with this Thank group I have to that. put that out there. Um, right, but let's talk about him. Personally, I think that he's one of the most gut wrenchingly human characters that Stephen King has written to this point. I think Carrie is a very close second. I think it's very different here because Carrie has, I mean, the equivalent of Shine, and I don't think Jack does. Um, I don't think that Jack's necessarily a bad person. I think that at his core, he's a good person. Like Kyle said, like at the beginning, he is a good dad with Danny. He's given over to his alcoholism, and that's when he breaks the arm, but he's sincerely apologetic afterwards. I think that he grew up in an abusive household with an alcoholic father, and in his view, a mom who was way too timid and scared to stand up for herself. And he witnessed something extremely traumatic when his father beat his mother at the dinner table, which is probably the reason why he drinks. Um, and now he goes through his life just trying not to be his father where he's going to fuck up his kid in the same way he was fucked up. But Jack is also the type of person that doesn't like to accept responsibility for his actions. So things that happen to him or that he brings on himself, it's always somebody else's fault. So it's that kid from school's fault, or it's it's Al's fault, or it's Wendy's fault, or it's, it's the Allman's fault, right? So mm -hmm. I think that also is something that appealed to the evil and the overlook. Um, as a writer, you know, he's probably in the worst position you could be as a writer where you have a couple things break through and show promise and then you're stuck with everything else and can't break through with your big work. Um, what I feel for him mostly through the book is just sympathy. And perhaps it's because like we've gone over, there are a few traits in him that I see in myself. And so him as a character both saddens and terrifies me. He's an addict. So if it's not booze that he's on, he's obsessed with his writing. And that becomes an obsession for him that's tearing him apart. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's the very nature by which the evil of the Overlook is able to get a hold of him. And I like the quote where Halloran is trying to see if anybody in the family has a shine outside of Danny. And it says, Halloran paused momentarily. He had probed at the boy's father, and he just didn't know. It wasn't like meeting somebody who had shine or someone who definitely did not. Poking at Danny's father had been strange, as if Jack Torrance had something something that he was hiding or something he was holding in so deeply submerged in himself that it was impossible to get to. And I like it because I know we've all been through different traumatic experiences in our lives and everybody listening has too, but it's a good analysis of not everybody can stay on the wagon, right? So it doesn't have to be drinking. It doesn't have to be writing obsession. It, it can be anything can really become a vice if you let it. And I think that there's a certain darkness that can be internalized in some people. Um, and not necessarily in a murdering your wife and kid kind of way, but in a dark, lonely kind of way. And that things that aren't inherently bad, like the writing or drinking, become twisted and manipulated into our own needs. So I think he's a good guy that tries to be good, but he doesn't try hard enough. And I think that's just true about many people who are addicts. You know, they they do try, but you know, it's it's that back and forth that some just might not be able to try hard enough. I know it's something that I've run into in life. And um, I like that at the end, he does try to warn Danny and say, hey, like run. Like I really, like I 
you broke through, like, please run. And ultimately, I think that he, I like to think that he kills himself with the mallet in order so that he doesn't end up killing his son. Like, consciously, the hotel just uses his body as a, like, a vessel. Um, Paige, what do you think of Jack Torrance? I know that was a lot. I just threw at everyone. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on everything that you said. I think that he's a really sad character. Like, there are so many things that he does that make me so upset with him. And it's like, you can see those little glimmers inside of him that want to be good, that want to feel love for other people. But I'm almost going to disagree with you a little bit and say that those glimmers are never going to be enough to overcome that I think he he might be a bad person. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fair. Kenneth? Yeah, I I really liked the like duality King gave him where, you know, there were scenes where I was like, I fucking hate this guy. And then scenes where I was like, oh, he is a good dad. And I have to say, I kind of agree with Paige where I think in general, like as much as he tried, he was not a good person because I mean, his family wasn't even really the reason he stopped drinking. It was because he had that scare um, with Al when they hit a bike and he thought he had killed the kid. And like, that was like the big catalyst to leading to that, not his, you know, his kid or his wife, really. And I, but I did enjoy the the end scene that you mentioned, Brady, about um, at the end, he breaks through whatever has like possessed him and he tells Danny to run. And I just, I love that because it was like his last act of like being a loving father that last bit of his like good fatherly behavior towards Danny coming through right at the end yeah no definitely Kyle what do you think Jack so I agree with you he is probably one of the most human characters uh, at least in this book realistic uh he's got his good side bad side but um I don't know. You guys pretty much said everything. I don't think he's a bad guy. I mean, he did want to stay sober. That was kind of the hotel that was... I I don't even know if he actually drank anything ever. I mean, he wanted to several times in the book, um, but I don't know if he ever actually drank or if it's just... Because there was no alcohol in the hotel. Oh, you're talking about at the hotel. Yeah, 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 at the hotel. That's what I meant. So he wanted to stay sober. Whether it was for his family or not, he wanted to because he knew he needed to change. And and then it became for the book, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, he was a good father when he wasn't drunk. Um, he wasn't always a good husband. I think that is where he failed. But uh, I mean, that's a story of a lot of people, right? Um, that's very realistic. And I don't know. I Jack, like, I, I don't hate him. I don't love him. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's very just human. To me, he's... I guess the vessel that we go through this book in, but uh, for the most part, um, but I think a lot of the stuff that we see isn't him. Yeah. So that brings me to the question I wanted to ask you guys. Do you think that ultimately Jack is responsible for his actions or the overlook is? So I don't know. Cause I was going to bring this up at some point when they go into a sidewinder or something um, and they're like at the stores, he still is acting like a little dickhead. And that's when he calls, Ullman and I don't know why like the hotel would have a grip on him there when he's what 40 miles away they say yeah I because I think that's how far 
Sidewinder is. Yeah, playing. something like that. But, like, so I don't know. He is, he's got a little bit of something in him that I guess the hotel just accentuates, but. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he is that kind of strangeness that Dick kind of describes. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like not a shine, but like a vulnerability to things like that, where it can still kind of affect him, you know, 40 miles away, but mostly because he spent that entire day looking at stuff about the overlook. And somehow it's like digging into that vulnerability that he has. Yeah. Paige, anything? The Jackers at the hotel. Um, I think that it was far too easy for the hotel to convince him to do those things. Hmm. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, Again, I'm going to stick by, I think that at his core, he's a good person, but I think that he's a broken, vulnerable person. And just like how the hotel realized that it needed Danny's power and how powerful Danny was, it also realized how weak Jack was. And that's why it attached itself to Jack and not Wendy, because it knew that Jack already had a history of abuse towards Danny, whether it was accidental or not. And then also knew that he wouldn't, he had already cross that threshold in his mind where he'd broken the bone and whether he knew it or not, he would be able to do it again. And so I think it just knew that it could wear him down opposed to Wendy who did stand firm and was always loving and motherly and protective of both of them. Because even when she locks Jack in the, um, the fridge or the pantry, she really doesn't want to do it, but she knows she has to. And then she's even like, I need to go down there and make sure that he's safe and that we're safe and she hears the voices and she's still like worried about her husband because she does love him. So I think that it, I don't think Jack is responsible for most of the stuff that happens in the final act, but I think that because of his life and who he was as a person, that it allowed the hotel an easier time to control him. Because I think that when he extremely gruesome beats his own face with the mallet, that was him saying, no, like I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to consciously let you use me to kill my son. And then the hotel was like, okay, I'll still fucking do it anyways with your body. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Outside of that last bit where he like comes through and, you know, bashes his face with the mallet and everything. I almost felt like after he got up from being stabbed in the back by Wendy, I kind of felt like that wasn't really him starting from that point. It was, Mm -hmm. it was like 99% the hotel. Cause I was like, did you, didn't you just get stabbed in the back, sir? How are you and walking she, around? It said that she buried it to like the handle. Yeah, so it was that all the way down like to the a, hill. A flesh wound. Um, and it stayed there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole verse of the time. Well, it ain't going anywhere. I do want to say that some of, or almost all my favorite things that happen in the book are Jack related. Like, mm-hmm. I love that part where he smashes his face. That's probably my favorite part of the whole book. Really? Um, it was yeah. jarring. Like, I yeah, exactly. hadn't expected it at all. I think that's one of the most horrifying moments yeah um yeah one of them oh no 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 i thought it was Uh, i I definitely was like why wasn't this in the movie because i feel like matt smashing his face and like having a broken concaved skull and like his eyes changing or something and getting all creepy and like i feel like that would have been so much scarier than oh he froze to death in the maze i agree and i i also particularly love the part where he goes to the bar and the first time he sees like the bartender and he's like, Oh, I seem to be out of money. And they're like, Oh, don't even worry about it. Like that, that little humor is 
I love white man's burden, my man. White man's yeah. burden. Yeah, I think everything like the exchanges between him and Lloyd are really great because that's when you do dive like that's Jack being Jack. And but it's also you kind of dive into this unraveling. I also thought thought it was interesting, like up until the hedge animals attack Danny, most of the stuff that you could probably or really until Grady helps him get out of the, the pantry you could just read the story as him going mad and not mm -hmm. actually seeing any of these things. Just hallucinating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but since you talked about your favorite parts and scariest parts, what did you guys find to be the scariest part of this book? Um, hands down, without a doubt, when Danny goes to the playground and he's inside the tunnel and it caves in on him and he hears something coming for him on all fours, crunching through the leaves full speed at him. Yeah, uh, that's also mine, and I have the passage here, and I just I want to read it real quick. It's uh, yeah. So the backstory: he goes to the playground to play. It's covered in snow. His parents are sleeping after they had sex, and he sees like what is it like a tunnel kind of thing? Yeah. It's like cement blocks, it's like a metal or yeah, cement tunnel. That so he goes in them. it, and snow ends up falling in on one end, trapping him. So he has to try to get through, and it says. For a moment, his brain froze in utter panic, and he could not think. Then, as if from far off, he heard his daddy telling him that he must never play at the Stovington dump, because sometimes stupid people hauled old refrigerators off to the dump without removing the doors, and if you got in one and the door happened to shut on you, there was no way to get out. You would die in the darkness. You wouldn't want a thing like that to happen, would you, Doc? No, Daddy. But it had happened. His frenzied mind told him it had happened. He was in the dark, he was closed in, and it was cold as a refrigerator, and... Something is in here with me. His breath stopped in a gasp. An almost drowsy terror stole through his veins. Yes. Yes, there was something in here with him. Some awful thing the Overlook had saved for just such a chance as this. Maybe a huge spider that had burrowed down under the dead leaves, or a rat, or maybe a corpse of some little kid that had died here on the playground. Had that ever happened? Yes, he thought maybe it had. He thought of the woman in the tub, the blood and the brains on the wall of the presidential suite of some little kid, its head split open from a fall from the monkey bars or a swing crawling after him in the dark, grinning, looking for one final playmate in its endless playground, forever. In a moment, he would hear it coming. At the far end of the concrete ring, Danny heard the stealthy crackle of dead leaves as something came for him on its hands and knees. At any moment, he would feel as its cold hand closed over his ankle. Whew. God. Like, I just, like, after reading this, I was trying to go to sleep in the bedroom and the way I sleep in the bed, I look towards our walk-in closet and the door to it is almost always open. And I just kept imagining that I was going to open my eyes while I was turned that way and see something crawling out of there. God, I think this is, yeah, this is definitely the most terrifying part of this book to me. Yeah. Not my favorite part, but I think the one that got me the most. Kenneth, what about you? I definitely agree. That was definitely a spooky it was definitely spooky and scary. I think the part that I had the most like physical reaction to was actually his interaction with the guy in the dog suit in the hallway. Because mm. in my mind, I'm imagining this long hallway, this little boy standing there and his way is blocked by like a grown man in a creepy, like sexy, spandexy, silvery dog suit making lewd comments and i'm imagining him like on all fours like being all creepy towards him and i remember like my stomach just dropped i was like if this had been me i would have cried i think just a strange man in a hallway telling me he's gonna like 
eat eat my dick or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know. Oh my god. Yeah, I think that one was gave a very vis or elicited a very visceral reaction for me. Like I think I gasped and I was like, oh no. Kyle, what was yours? You guys are gonna make fun of me because I already shit on him for it, but the the uh, <laughs> fire hose part is probably yeah scary because and oh. the reason is overall I don't think this book is very scary, but that part where he's just like looking at the hose and he's like yeah I want to get by it, but I'm not sure like what the hell's going on. It's so much there's so much tension in that moment that I think that might be the tensest part. I don't think like I said I don't think this book overall is very scary. Um, reading it, I never was like okay I'm scared to put this down I, or, or I don't want to close my eyes tonight. Like, um, but that part had a lot of tension and I could see why that's scary as a kid. Okay, All maybe, joking aside. Okay. <laughs> maybe I'm a wimp. Maybe it's because I don't have a lot of history with horror. This book terrified the ever living shit out of me. You also to listened to it, right? Yeah, I did. That's I a little different. It, so that might make a big impact. So like, especially I drive to and from work and I listen to it. It's dark, whatever. So there was one point where I was listening and I literally just like smacked my radio to turn it off. I was like, I cannot do this. Like it's 11 PM. I can't handle this right now. I went home and Brady was still at work. I turned on every single light in my house. I walked around the entire apartment. I opened every door. I looked behind the shower curtain. I looked in places where people could not fit. I was so scared. And I like, it just, it got to me. It really got to me. Yeah, I don't think it's the scariest thing I've ever read. I think it was definitely very scary, but I'm going to take that that approach and say like one of the scariest things to me was just like the descent of Jack into madness. Like not really anything that he saw or did, but just like how that could happen to somebody that you and it doesn't have to be like this possessed hotel that's taking over you, but just like you know, you have this slow unraveling because of whatever genetic or personal trauma you've gone through like i I think that's terrifying too the hedge animals also oh well that was scary but the the gruesome detail that he described the beating with the mallet Mm. and like the way the bones were breaking i oh that made me queasy yeah i lost you guys for a little bit so i'm not sure exactly how pages thing ended but (laughs) (laughs) um I was going to say that, like, so it's really hard for a book to scare me to the point where, like, I can't close my eyes at night. But out of the three books we've read so far, I thought this was the scariest and, in fact, my favorite. Like, so um, I, I'm sure you guys saw on my social media that I got uh, exposed to COVID on, like, the on New Year's Eve. And so I had to stay home all week and I had a lot of time to, you know, do stuff. So I finished the book and then decided to listen to the audiobook because I was like, oh, I have time and I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I was going somewhere with that and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> do you think it was scarier, the book or the audiobook? Um, I, I thought the book was scarier just because I since it was like my voice in my brain reading it, mm. I felt, I don't know, like the visualization is different than an audio book when I can like focus on other things as opposed to like when you're reading, you have to focus on what you're reading. Yeah. Hmm. Good point. Mm-hmm. I think that reading it was a little bit scarier um, when I read it. The audio book too, I don't know which version you guys listened to, but the guy was very like monotone and it, he was awful to listen to. 
Um, and Can I caught myself a couple times. Your the person who did yours. Mine is the one that's on Audible. Mine was on Audible too, and I loved that guy. Like the past two, I have not particularly enjoyed the readers, but this guy was fantastic. Yeah, your narrator sounded like uh, Alexander Skarsgård almost. But it, I know it wasn't him, but it sounded like him. Um, cool. Well, what did you guys think of the ending then? Did you like it? Did you like how it got wrapped up? Did you not like it? Um, kind of related. Sorry, I feel like it's kind of related to the ending, but also because um, you had mentioned the hedge animals. Mm. I, after reading... Like, specifically the part where, um, when Dick is, like, on the road going up to the house and he's confronted with the topiary, like, lions and stuff, I understood why they didn't add that to the movie. I was like, hold on, did I stop reading The Shining and suddenly end up in, like, the Triwizard Tournament in the fourth Harry Potter book? Like, what, why are these, like, grassy tree animals, like, I, it felt very disconnected from the rest of the story. Yeah. yeah, I understand why they didn't put that in the movie. Like that would have looked awful. The special yeah. effects at that time would have been horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um. So outside of those animals, did you like how it ended with Danny and Wendy on the dock getting ready for their new future? Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I think that's a nice send away, but it almost seemed like he never meant, or he never meant for there to be a sequel to it. Yeah. <laughs> And we'll get to that when we go over Dr. Sleep. Uh, there's, I mean, I know that he said that it took him a couple of years to come back to it because somebody was like, hey, where do you think Danny would be now? Like, as a child, do you think he'd be like Jack? Do you think he'd be more like Wendy? And he was like, huh. But, I mean, I liked the ending a lot because I think that, yeah, it, at one hand, it's hopeful, but I also think it's like sad because it's this family is broken now. So, yes, Wendy has a job lined up that she's excited for, and Danny isn't having as many nightmares about his father, but like at the same time, this kid's going to be fucked up for life. I mean, Wendy's going to be fucked up. She's in a fucking brace still, and she has to deal with the fact that her husband, you know, tried to kill her one, but was possessed. <laughs> so now you got to try to rationalize all that. Her son can see things and hear things that nobody else can. And then Danny's like, okay, well, I'm probably going to have the guilt of, I knew this place was bad and we still went there and because I was selfish and my dad is dead now. And so really I didn't want them to get a divorce, but because we went there, my dad died. So he can't blame himself for that. No, but I think, yeah, I mean, you know, Kenneth, I texted you afterwards. I was like, maybe it's my daddy issues here, but uh, I <laughs> and felt then really... I texted back and I said, we have <laughs> yeah. two totally different versions of daddy issues. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I think I just felt like sad at the end. I I felt unfinished. I guess like it felt like it wrapped yes. up very very fast because the I'm ending is a lot of King's books. Is that yeah. I feel like there's that ending climax and then it just kind of like boop yeah just ends still liked it i still think that the book as a whole was was really good and i don't think that it was rushed to a point where i was like okay this is crap i just think it was like all right this is a little too good to be true at the end and maybe that's Mm -hmm. why i found the sadness in there and he didn't mean for it to be here or he did my favorite part of the end is halloran Again, he's a great character, and the fact yeah. that he's making time for this little boy that he doesn't owe anything to. He already saved their mm-hmm. lives. He's going to make time for him in the future, and he you know, wants to still make him 
you know, feel loved. And he is going to be that father figure, or that's the way it seems. Yeah. Grandfather figure. Yeah. Mm. And I'm a guy who doesn't really like, I don't, I hate finishing books because when I finish it, I'm like, yeah, I don't feel great now. Like, mm. whether it's a happy ending or not, I'm like, that I hate there being an ending to a story. The never ending story, huh? Yeah. <laughs> movie. Um, being dragged I, didn't, I didn't like the ending. Uh, there were a couple things I didn't like. The first is that last scene with Jack coming after him and he's got the mallet. I'm just the, the hotel has tried so hard in so many ways to kill him, right? To kill Danny mm -hmm. so many times and hasn't been successful and wants it so bad, wants it more than anything. You're telling me that he stopped to have a ha ha ha, I got you now. For like, just smash him. Like, I don't want Danny to die, but there was so much time for him to just whack him and he didn't. Like, I don't know. That felt uh, weird. It felt like Danny got way too powerful, way too fast. It was like, you're not my real dad. And guess what? Back pocket, you forgot the boiler. Ha ha ha. I win. Let's yeah. run. Ooh, big thing explodes. All the evil's dead. And now we're going to go sit on a dock and go fishing. Like, it, uh, I don't know. It just wasn't for well, me. I think Tony was the one who told him about the boiler. So he didn't come up with it he on his own, right? No, he didn't tell him. He said there was something that you'll remember that your daddy forgot. Remember what your dad forgot. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then he, it popped up. Yeah, but either way, it's like, I don't know. I don't As somebody kind of agree, who... Go ahead. Sorry, I kind of agree with you, because I was thinking about how... I was like, would the evil of this hotel be like, oh no, the boiler, and then just like stop and go handle that? Wouldn't you just like whack the kid over the head and then go do the thing? Or like grab so him and time. take him with you? Or... He's five. Throw there him was your shoulder. so much time to whack him. Yeah. So much time. I think that the hotel got so into killing Danny and getting his power that it forgot about the boiler because it, it was cocky. so focused on the hunger and needing to get this power. And then similar to the old being we had in Straker and Sa in Salem's Lot, there's a, a huge amount of hubris that this hotel probably has, this evil spirit in it. So that's why I rationalized it stopping and being like, ha ha ha, I got you now. And then when Danny's like, oh, the boiler room's going to blow, that's when it clicks. And it's like, I have been so, like, got had so much tunnel vision about this kid that it doesn't even matter if I get this kid now because the boiler's going to explode. So what can I do with the power if <laughs> the whole building is gone? And then it hops away. Was the goal for the hotel to kill Danny? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I to wasn't... kill him and to absorb his shine. Yeah. Gotcha. Because that's why it's like, oh, we need you to bring your child to us and sacrifice him and you could become a manager in the hotel. Yeah. And I think the reason that, I mean, I think that the hotel wasn't really thinking about like, yeah, I just got to do this quick because I think the hotel was like, all we have is time. We're snowed in. Yeah. Where the fuck are you guys going? Mm -hmm. Like, I can take as long as I want. I can drag this out. Um, but yeah, I aren't kind of related. I liked the, um, the running theme of wasp nests and how it was kind of insinuated that the hotel was a wasp nest and all mm. the evil that was trapped. There were the wasps and Halloran mentions at the end, like a memory about his brothers and him, I think like finding a wasp nest and this like hive mentality of 
wasps like and i feel like that might be part of it where they were using this collective hive mentality and because of that like there was no other person to be like whoa hold on concentrate on what you're doing yeah that's a good point i liked it i think it's i and now we can get into the movie i <laughs> i love the movie i really do but i don't like looking at the movie and being like oh this is the book it was based on because i really love the book and i'm glad that the book doesn't end the way the movie does does that make sense yeah mm -hmm. I, I was glad to but i can I appreciate the artistic direction and choices that kubrick made because i think it made yeah. for a really good film but the issues that i have with it are like from the get-go they make it seem like jack is already ready to kill his family yeah well what yeah. i think is that they because re-watching it i thought that the movie was a lot longer than it is mm. and I, it's, I think it's hard to really have that decline happen naturally so they just have to choose a certain point where it's like like hey he's fucking crazy and i think that happens really suddenly um i, I understand what people say when they or mean when they say like he seemed crazy the whole time but i think that's just jack nicholson's face <laughs> like, you can't help that you know like he just looks like an insane person all the time um but i i think it's just a time restraint of the movie i think that that's the biggest uh problem with the movie I was surprised. Well, and Shelley Duvall's, uh, how they made her do oh Wendy. God. Because I think it was a huge I disservice to the character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was surprised how different, how different the book was from the movie. And I almost prefer the book, but I feel like I also like the book and the movie for different reasons. And they're almost two different stories. And so many of the iconic things, like pop culture things, from the movie aren't even in the book. Mm -hmm. All, like, mm -hmm. I do like that I'm assuming that the twin girls in the movie are references to the daughters of Grady in the book. Yeah. But I don't know. I was just so surprised how different it was. Well, I think they say in the movie, uh, it's like really quickly mentioned that the last caretaker's daughters were eight and 10. So they're not even supposed to be like twins, but they come off as twins when oh, you see them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like a really like quick thing that they mention um, when Almonds, I think, going over the hotel and what happened. And another thing movie. I didn't like in the movie was that they killed off Halloran. Yeah. Yeah. Like you like mean that. to tell me that this dude has this much shine that he can hear, or I mean, I know Danny has that much shine that he can send it to Halloran, but Halloran gets there, goes through all this trouble through the snow, <laughs> loses that guy's gloves, and then as soon as he gets in, gets hit with the axe and dies. Yeah. Um, this very is going to be very controversial to say to all of you, but I much preferred the ending of the movie. I like that someone died. Oh, I no. really enjoyed watching the scene of them running through the maze. I thought that was like tense and great. And I like that like they jumped on and got away and like that's where it ended. You know, there wasn't this extra bit. I, I don't know. I liked it a lot better. I definitely like the, the use of the maze in the movie. Like I said, it's yeah. so much better than the topiary animals, which I thought were kind of tacky. Um, yeah. I think if they had the hotel blow up in the movie, it'd be way too cliche too. That's yeah. true. Like, oh, this building yeah. that's evil, it has to blow up in order for it to this all to end. I, I don't like that. Especially since the uh, book insinuates that it like blew them forward like <laughs> right. at least on the town mm -hmm. 
Um, I also like how the movie ends where it's like Jack becomes just part of the hotel. Yeah, where he's mm-hmm. incorporated into that picture. Oh, I mm-hmm. liked that a lot. Yeah. Well, I think when they say like I mean they say it in the book too, but like you're you're the caretaker. You always have been. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's part of it. Um yeah. I I'm gonna I don't know how strongly you guys feel about the twins. I don't like the twins. I've never liked them. I don't either. Even in the, uh, yeah. I don't think feel they um, no certain way. way. They're kids, yeah. so, I'm like, so you know how I feel about corny. that. Yeah, that too. <laughs> oh. But they're like so corny. They're barely used, and they're so iconic for like barely being used. Mm-hmm. That's what I said to Brady when we first. Well, I mean, that was the first time I've seen any of this, but that when we first watched it, and like he has a shirt from based on like The Shining, the movie that is like all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. That wasn't in the book at all, and no. so I was waiting for that. Waiting, waiting. Yeah, for that was the one part that's I was like, that's definitely going to be in parts. there, and it wasn't. Yeah. I thought that was like awesome because it just showed his absolute insanity. Like he's been yeah. doing this for hours and hours and hours and like, whoa, buddy. <laughs> and I like how he just acts like, oh, so you like my play? Like, <laughs> yes. like what I wrote? I think that was a good reveal <laughs> where she's reading it. She's like, holy shit. Yeah. 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 And, but I do like, so I do like the things, the little things that they kept in the movie like um when they're going up the stairs and he says like i'm not gonna hurt you mm. i'm just gonna uh, bash your fucking brains in uh, yeah i'm gonna bash him right the fuck in yeah. he says it the exact mm-hmm. same way in the book and i love it mm-hmm. um <laughs> the exchanges between the bartender are, are pretty similar they are they're almost verbatim yes. um so speaking of things that are said so i obviously listened to the audiobook and you guys kind of did too kenneth mm-hmm. did you hear the guy's voice when he was like angry jack sort of did you get that far okay so when he starts to like yell the guy's obviously not going to yell in this audiobook right mm-hmm. so he he puts on this voice maybe it's like the hotel's voice where he's like come out here and take your medicine like it's really like right so i have an alarm i take an anti-anxiety pill because i am who i am and so i have an alarm on my phone every day that is a reminder and it legit just says take your medicine and every single day i wake up and i'm like come out here and take your medicine if you don't (laughs) change the sound of your alarm to like that bit from the audio (laughs) book awful it has oh infiltrated God. my life and will never go away Jesus. <laughs> yeah. um did you guys can i did so did, wait did it how many of you guys watched the movie before you read the book or did you all read the book okay what did you oh, i've seen the movie before who did you imagine like did you imagine the people from the movie when you were reading the book no um not Dick, for yes. wendy because yeah, Wendy, I don't, but Jack, I do. Yeah, Jack, I do. Wendy, because they always say like she has blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that always like got me to think of Wendy as somebody else. And I think she's supposed to be more like uh, built too in the book, right? She's not like as skinny as Shelley. No, is. no. Like, as fra- frail, I should say. Mm-hmm. Looking, and I think uh, that's the thing is because Wendy's character was written so differently than how she be- she was on film that I just didn't associate her with Shelley Duvall at all. Mm-hmm. I've, I was like a little bit of both where like at the beginning, the way that Jack is described with his like PR smile, I was like, oh yeah, that's Jack Nicholson for oh, sure. Yeah. But then by the end, he's not who I was imagining as Jack, but I was imagining, cause I know Shelley Duvall from other things. So like I was imagining like a blonde Shelley Duvall as Wendy and I sure as hell was not envisioning that little boy. Danny. I was but, definitely envisioning Scatman Carruthers as 
Halloran. Oh, oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He is perfect for that. Oh, Definitely. yeah. And I think Danny was pretty much what I pictured in my mind. I pictured Jack as like almost looking more wholesome. Like I pictured him more as like Jack from This Is Us. If you guys like have ever seen Milo Vincent Magalia or whatever his name is. Yeah. Like I wanted him to look more like good old boy, all American, like family man. Yeah. And then watching that go crazy and turn into something else. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, and I also just want to um, say one more thing. Um, Danny's not here, Mrs. Torres. Oh, my God. I hated that. <laughs> I hate that. Tony yeah. living in his finger. I hated yeah. that, too. It was I awful. mean, I guess you can't really do that any other way. Like, when you're thinking, like, all right, how do I get have to keep shooting scenes of, like, this kid's imaginary friend? I guess that's, like, the best way you can think of doing it is, like, oh, it lives in my finger. But all I can add, think of is that. A, have you guys Add a character that the parents can't see. Or like do like or a flash into, into like his up, brain. Yeah. yeah, like an upside down kind of area. Have you guys seen Muppet Treasure Island? No. And Ben <laughs> no. will be Ben, my my partner, will be very upset that I have not. There's <laughs> a there's a scene where so it's all based on, you know, Treasure Island, but there's a scene where they're like finding out the crew is all pirates and Kermit's like, Who hired this crew? And they all point oh, to man. Fozzie Bear and Fozzie Bear points to his finger and they're like your finger hired the crew? And he's like, no, that's silly. The man who lives in my finger hired the crew. <laughs> and that's all I could think of during this. It's like, no. Ah. Um, cool. All right. Well, uh, I don't think any of us really watched the 1990s miniseries, um, The Shining. I wanted to. I did too. We couldn't find it. There's a little bit of background here. So obviously, if you, as you've gathered and if you've seen it, uh, Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining was not at all what Stephen King had envisioned. Stephen King even wrote a script up for it, gave it to Kubrick and said, hey, I think this is what I want. And Kubrick said, yeah, no, uh, I'm gonna already do what I wanna do. And then like kept fucking with King sometimes too and like call him randomly at like three in the morning and be like, hey, what are your thoughts on God? And Stephen King would be like, I, I don't fucking know. Like, uh, and he'd be like, all right, it's important to the movie, thanks. And oh so movie comes out and Stephen King trashed it he hated it he still hates it to this day he doesn't talk about it as much anymore but i mean even as recently as the early 2010s he was talking about it um wow. so then he came out and he said you know what i'm gonna go to my old buddy mick garris and i'm gonna give him the script that i originally wanted and we're gonna make it this way and i'm gonna show stanley kubrick and you know what happened it bombed it was oh. awful and I mean, all you have to do is watch Lawnmower Man to realize that Stephen King should not be in charge of his ad adaptations. He's just, he's a great writer. He's not great when it comes to, to film. Place. So he needs to just kind of <laughs> stick to what he knows, you know? Maximum Overdrive sucks. I'm going to tell you that right now. Yeah, <laughs> Maximum Overdrive is horrible. Uh, Can I yeah. ask like one final kind of a wrap up question? Sure. Where do you all think the evil from the hotel came from? Hmm. I wondered that honestly. Kind of because was it there before it bit. was built, or was it because of all of these bad things that happened? It absorbed evil energy. Like, so how did it get to have its own shine, essentially? So I don't know about the book if they go into it, but in the movie they kind of say really offhand, like, "Oh yeah, it was built on an Indian burial mm -hmm. ground. They even had to kill some Indians to like while they were building it to fend it off." <laughs> oh my god. Uh, which is kind of like a poltergeist type thing, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's kind of like a, 
just an easy like throw away like ah like we can just say that it was built on a burial ground and mm -hmm. uh, uh but i think it's it's got to be more like sinister than that mm -hmm. right like yeah it's yeah. got to be like you were saying Kenneth, like it's this ancient evil like streaker was in mm -hmm. salem's lot um i i just i see it more as like a I don't know. I don't want to say senseless, but it's just an entity that inhabits the hotel and just gets more powerful by grabbing shine from people and possessing people. And do you I, think, I don't think that the overlook is haunted by all the people who died there? Or it's like, I don't know, like a, an evilness that just makes Jack like hallucinate stuff? Or do you think he's like actually seeing ghosts? I think in this realm, there's really ghosts, and I think it's what it, I don't think it's the hotel itself. It's something in the hotel. Because okay. I mean, like it has physical manifestations for every one of them that they all see at the same time. Like the party favors in the elevator. Mm -hmm. So like something is physically there that comes and goes whenever it needs to. That's kind of I what I was thinking with like what I was saying with the wasp nest, where it's kind of. Um, and uh, an accumulation of evil from the people who have died there who have done bad things or the people associated with building it or keeping it running who've done bad things and then they've all kind of gotten together and then together because they mentioned like the manager at one point and i figure that the manager is really just like that hive of all of them together and they create like one entity you know yeah. i like that yeah i like that too <laughs> Anything else? Yeah, I have a couple questions. Yeah, what's up? If Danny's so powerful oh, and he can hurt, well, no, 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 no. Seriously, if he <laughs> can, so kind of, no, no, it's not slander. It's questions, like serious questions. Yeah, um, yeah, all right. They kind of make his like his shine, like he's able to project it and harm things. Why didn't he try doing that to the hotel? Like when Jack's standing there in front of him, like I'm gonna kill you. Why is he's like, yeah, we'll take this asshole and like hits him with a mind bullet, you know? Well, because oh. it's still his dad. Is it though? He says, "You're not my dad." Yeah, like, but I think, all like, space, still, all space. <laughs> yeah, still as a yeah. kid, like, I mean, that's a good point. I just know I don't know why they never went that route with it. Well, I think I you'll know. get to that route when you get to like Firestarter. Okay, gotcha. Do you think and that other people in the states who have the shine heard Danny calling for Dick, or do you think because he was calling for Dick specifically? <laughs> I'm sorry. Ooh, <laughs> calling, he was calling for Dick. For Dick. <laughs> Halloran calling for Halloran. Richard Halloran. Fucking perverts. Okay. Um, that dog I was calling for Dick. Don't think so. No. I think it really was just a one-on-one -on -one blast yeah. Yeah. because like he has he met two other people on his way there who had some kind of a shine mm -hmm. and they had no idea what the fuck he was doing. They were just like, you know, I see something in you and I got something yeah. and like whatever you're doing, I feel like you're probably doing the right thing. Yeah. Good point. I think it's I think it's like a telephone. Yeah. Okay. What else you got, Kyle? And um the other thing, I'm surprised nobody brought it up. Honestly, there's a like reference to Salem's lot in this movie. Or book, I mean, sorry, in the book. They're talking about how like Danny says things and sometimes they don't take him serious. And the quote is when a child says he's seen a troll in his bedroom mm -hmm. or a vampire outside the window, we simply smile indulgently. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, hey, I've read that book. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was a reference or not. I was like, he wow, he loves to talk about vampires. 
years. Yeah. Well, that yeah. movie happens, right? The yeah. one yeah. child's yeah. A vampire outside the window. It's like, oh, look at that. Oh, my God. So now I'm going to keep a lookout whenever I read his books. For little Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've heard there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Oh, yeah, that's all, Anything that's else all we want to I don't have a question, but I wanted to bring this up. And if I don't bring it up, I'm going to die because... <laughs> Oh, I so I remember. Remember, I was talking about how King just loves to bring up testicles. He also just loves any excuse to bring up like boobs. And there's a line that I don't know if you guys caught, but so it's Halloran on his way to the Overlook, and he's like starting his car and he's like driving off, and it says he squeezes the accelerator like the breast of a much loved woman, and the Buick <laughs> scooted forward and towards the right. How do you? How does that work? How how do you, how do you boob? accelerator of a car like the breast of a much loved woman? How do you do that? I don't even know what that With means. Intention? I don't know. What's the accelerator? Had to push his foot down. Yeah. <laughs> Any excuse to bring up boobs. Maybe he likes to use his feet. All right. No. I've seen that okay. before. So I do have one more thing, which Ugh. was like my favorite line from the book. And then I promise I'll be done. And it has to do with when he's on his way to the hotel. And it's he's on the plane, right? Um, and he's sitting next to, and I quote, the sharp-faced woman. I love her. And it, it right? It says, the sharp-faced woman next to Holleran looked up from her book and offered a brief character analysis. Ninny. I lost it. I, I know. That, a brief character analysis. And she was just like, you ninny. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to say that about anytime I'm going to talk about like shit about someone in the room, I'm going to be like, hold on. Brief character analysis. <laughs> You're a puss. All right. Yes. So, okay. what would you give this as your letter grade? I really enjoyed it. So especially compared to the other two. So I like I feel like a solid middle, like 95A, you know? Okay. Okay. Not bad. Yeah. I think I agree with Kenneth. Like the ending took away that A plus. It's not a hundred for me, but I think it's like a really solid 95A. All right. Kyle. So I don't know what we're comparing it to, but I've only listen to some of his other books. Um, I don't think this is his scariest. I'm going to give it for right now. I'll say like a B, B minus. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. I would definitely give it a solid A. I think that there are some things that just didn't work. And I think like the misplaced thing about nipples and <laughs> all that, like that really just took me out of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it brought me further in. I'm sure it did. <laughs> But I just, uh, right, two different reactions there. Uh, We must have just come on and go on, you know? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so that was The Shining. So I know that technically next is a book that he wrote as Richard Bachman, Rage, but we've decided collectively that we're just going to wait until we get done with all the Stephen King books. And then we'll do the Bachman books kind of all together in one episode, maybe two episodes, um, depending on how in depth we want to go with those. So the next one up is going to be Stephen King's epic, the stand, which 
I think we should probably split into two separate episodes mm-hmm. so that we don't try to rush this book and then also I mean that's that's, that's a, a lot. Discussion so, of it. Yeah. Um, we don't want the discussion audio, to be like six it hours. Is Forty-five hours long. Holy shit. Oh my god. Yeah. Yep. Um, but thank you, Kyle, for coming on yet another episode. No problem. You know me. I like to stir the pot. Have me on anytime. Yeah. We'll definitely we have, have you on in the future. Um, if there's any other books, you know, down the road, just let us know if there's anything that tickles your fancy or makes you want to <laughs> push down on the accelerator, like <laughs> squeeze in a, a much, much loved woman. woman. Yeah. There's many things that make me want to do that. So I'll, I'm, <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> All right. Well, until then, we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.